Boxcaster online. Authorization accepted. Upload confirmed. Begin transmission. In the center of the traitor line, the Emperor's children fought with unremitting cruelty, its warriors howling with savage glee as they killed their former brothers. Unnatural horrors of mutilation and degradation were visited upon the living and the dead as Fulgrim's legion repulsed every attack, though their Primarch was yet to be seen. Bizarrely clad warriors in Mark IV plate, draped in stretched skin, cavorted in the midst of the deadliest combats, fighting without helmets, their jaws wired open as they unleashed a hideous screaming. They bore unknown weaponry and fired echoing blasts of atonal harmonics that ripped bloody canyons in the massed ranks of the Iron Hands. Great pipes and loudspeakers fixed to their armor amplified the screaming vibrations of their killing music, and deafening sound waves tore apart warriors and armored vehicles. The bulk of the heavier equipment was landed behind the ferocious battle. More and more explosions erupted in the traitors' lines, and even Angron and Mortarion were forced to pull back out of range of the loyalist artillery. In the center of the battle, Ferris Manus pushed ever onwards, his iron hands pushing deeper and deeper into the heart of the enemy defenses as they sought to punish the traitors and unleash their wrath on the Emperor's children. Hello and welcome to After Rulinor, um the Fulgrim Part 2 episode. And that was David Wytek reading that rather lovely. Oh, and why thank you. And that is my co-host Greg Dan there bringing us into the show. Greg? Good to talk to you again. How you doing, partner? And you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Oh, boy, and here we are, getting ready to record the last half of this one. <laughs> Indeed, it's a big one. Well, where we left off last was at the end of uh, part three, where Fulgrim just decided to virus bomb everything in the, uh, everything in the Eldar sector. Dirty Xenos filth. Yeah, of course. Get rid of them. Do you want to jump right into part four here? Jump right into threshold? We might as well. Might as well. All right. Yeah, folks. we'll do the couple of little bits at the end oh, of this. You know what? Before but, we so, do, the cover. Yeah, you want to do that now? Cool. Sure, we might as well. Uh, we missed yeah. it in the last episode. This will be our nice intro. So what about this cover? I can only really make out half of it because the back half has the whole blurb over it, and it's not. Does it not have it on the inside? Oh, is that, oh that is it on the inside. Okay. Not quite as pretty when it's on the inside, but a little harder to, to to tell things apart. Yeah, I mean it's a lovely scene of Isfahan Five itself, war raging, um, countless thousands in the Urgul Depression, um, and the, the the front looks great. You know, you've got your contempt to dreadnought, you've got your warriors, but it's on the back that the real beauty lies. Which I can't see because the big box is right over it. In fact, yeah. I'm looking at the black and white, and I barely was able to even notice and make out. That is Ferris Manus and Fulgrim fighting in the background, isn't it? Yes. Oh, nice. Um, Fulgrim in all his dainty glory, reaching up, about to deliver a strike, two-handed strike to Fulgrim, to, um, to Ferris. Ferris Manus. 
Well, the uh, Emperor's Children in the front. Um, I know when the <clears throat> talking to the guys at the Horace Heresy Weekender, when the Ferris and Fulgrim uh, double piece was done for the miniatures, um, you know, he had Neil's or artwork out in front of him to work off to try and kind of influence and things like that. Um, and this, so this was that part of that picture was, you know, blown up nice and big on A4 but I, I really like it you've got it because you've got you've got that massive scene right. going on then on the back you've got that little almost separate in the background and it really kind of is separate I mean even when you talk about the battle there's nothing else I mean it, it, people have made way they're out of the way they're fighting their own battles and these two are sort of off on their own thing yeah so I'll tell you uh, speaking of these different legions and their fighting and stuff uh, I am in the middle of the second part of the Independent Characters two-part uh, podcast about the uh, Black uh, or the uh, Forge Worlds massacre. Yeah, I just, like I said, I just really liked their coverage. Their coverage was great for that stuff for the massacre book. It was really top-notch, and it really got me in the mood. I was just listening to it today, so I listened to the whole first part today and part of the next part, and. Um, I was so jazzed to come in and record about this now because I've been listening to all this other stuff. So, cool. All right. So, I guess we should just jump in and get going then. I'm sort of rambling out here. Yes. All right. So, I'm sorry. Part four, Threshold, Chapter 16. We're introduced to Ormond Braxton, the emissary of the administration of Terra. So, here's another. This, the, there's little telling things that I liked in the beginning with this guy. Uh, he comes to see Fulgrim, and he has to wait for three days. And he doesn't wait for three days. He can't believe he's being made to wait at all. He's the one who makes people wait. And it actually says that. Um, it's it's great that it's just this another one of these people with a sense of entitlement. I am the person here. I have this authority. I have this. I have that. And... Um, Oh, yeah, I don't think he's had a huge amount of um, interaction with people who have of a superior rank than him. Right. You know, it's, this is one of the, it looks like it's one of the few times that he's come up against someone who outranks him. And it's funny because if he's part of the Terran administration, which is a different sort of rank, I think, than the military. Yeah. And so it's like Fulgrim doesn't necessarily outrank him. It's just what, you know, they're Primarchs. Who's really going to tell them off, right? Yeah, different systems. <laughs> exactly. But he just can't deal with the fact that he's been made to wait. And then they 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 coat him in scented oil, and he's just all like, what is this nonsense? And as he goes in, he hears arguing. And this is great. Hold on. I've got, the, I got this part marked because I just loved it when he heard this arguing going on. And he says, uh, the music was deafening. Dozens of phonocasters were scattered around, blaring a multitude of what appeared to be different kinds of music. Paintings of all manner of vileness hung from the walls, some depicting acts of violent barbarity and others of unspeakably vile conduct that was beyond pornography. Braxton felt his trepidation grow as he heard arguing voices from the central stateroom beyond. And so then he starts calling out, Fulgrim, Fulgrim, are you here? And Fulgrim, all of a sudden the arguing stops. And Fulgrim comes to get him. And uh, he gets in there, and there's nobody in there with Fulgrim. <laughs> and he's like, uh, who the hell was he just arguing with? And uh, Fulgrim is in a loincloth, and 
pulls Braxton over to see the painting. And this is the other passage I marked in this section because this was just fantastic. Uh, Braxton stared open at Braxton stared in open-mouthed horror at the image slathered on the canvas, a truly repellent portrait of an armored warrior, thickly painted with all manner of garish colors, crude brush strokes, and loathsome stench. The vastness of the image only served to heighten the horror of what it portrayed, for the subject was none other than the primarch of the emperor's children, so loathsomely delineated as to be insulting and degrading to one so awe-inspiring. Even though he was no student of art, even Braxton recognized this as a vulgar atrocity, an affront to the being it purported to represent. He glanced over at Fulgrim to see if this was some elaborate jest, but the Primarch's face was wrapped and unswerving in its adoration of the vile picture. You're, at a lo- you're lost for words, I can see, said Fulgrim. I'm not surprised. It is, after all, by Serena DeAngelis, and only recently finished. It's just like, oh my god. The description of that picture, and it smells. The picture smells. Yeah, well, it would do, yeah. Yeah. It's just... <laughs> it's oh. grim, isn't it? It's. I mean, you'd think, you'd, you'd think from that description, you'd think he was, that it was Nurgle who was coming after him. Um, yeah, well, your elements, <laughs> indeed. Uh, uh, but then he tells us that it's, uh, <laughs> they're going to reveal this painting at uh, Kinska's uh, Magrav... Uh, Maraviglia, you know, in yeah. the refurbished La Fenice. And uh, so it's like, oh, God. So Braxton comes with news from the Sigilite. And uh, the way Fulgrim sort of did, oh, Melchador, what's he want? It, it sort of, it it puts Braxton off, and off, he's uncomfortable. It's like, you know, how can he be talking about him this way, you know? Without any respect, or yeah, without the necessary respect, shall I say. Right. For uh, too much familiarity. Exactly. And then he tells him that the Sigilite has sent Russ to bring Magnus to Terra for, you know, for basically Judgment. breaking the rules. Yeah. And Fulgrim gets angry. So he'll be charged with a crime, and then he, you know, he tells him um, about Horus and Angron, and the stuff they did against the Arishian technology. Um, but it's not Angron. Uh, he's gotten reports that humans were killed. This is where he's coming in. There's all this arguing going back and forth. And basically, he's just assuming that he wants him in there to talk about, you know, it must be Angron if you guys need. <laughs> <We're Yeah. laughs> I just love it. Uh, there's a problem. So, too, someone's been too violent. Uh, well, you know, Angron's like that. That's... <laughs> But no, I don't mean Angron. Some of the Space Marines killed a bunch of humans, bringing back a wounded Horus. Um, and then this is where Fulgrim kind of snaps on him, and the dude pees himself. Yeah, don't blame him. Well, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> so hold on. Uh, facts. What does a foppish scribe such as you know of the facts of war? War is hard fast and cruel. Horus knows this and he fights accordingly. If people are stupid enough to get in the way, then their own foolishness is to blame. Ormond Braxton had seen much in the way of egotism in his time within the civil administration of Terra, but he had never been faced with such a bare-faced arrogance and callous dismissal of human life. My lord, gasped Braxton, people are dead, killed by the Astartes. Such things will not go or will, ah, such things will not just go away. Those responsible must be called to account for the ideals of the great or the ideals of the great crusade will stand for nothing. And then uh, 
Fulgrim lowers his sword, appearing only now to notice its presence. He shook his head and smiled. He's got his sword out. Yeah, he's been and, talking to it. Yeah. He'd be muffled if it was in a scabbard. Uh, that's just so funny. Fulgrim spins around <laughs> on him when he says, uh, you know, someone's... I'm just... You're going to blame Horace for this? I'm not assigning blame here. I'm just stating facts. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, the, it's the same kind of reactions we saw in the first... Uh, in the second book. Um, you know, the reaction of... But, but Horace was injured, so... So why why would anyone care about the humans and then the human response to that? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, you can almost, you can forgive Fulgrim a little bit in this bit for that. Well, but this whole thing, though, it's not even that. Well, yeah, mean, no, it's added in. But yeah, he, he's going in. through, I mean, first he's completely wild, then he's calm. Then he's completely wild again, then he's yeah. calm. There's just, there's no control. It has nothing to do with even the fact that it's Horace. It's that just he's... He's back and forth, back and forth. And then Fulgrim finally, you know, calms down again and says, he'll go and see Horace and he'll report back. But even when he says, I'll report back, it's like it's, there's obvious a sar- sarcasm and bitterness in his tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like he, 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 he agrees to do this just to get this guy out of the way. So he dismisses Braxton. And Braxton's basically hightailing it out of there, running out. And then he hears arguing starting again, and he turns around and looks back before he walks out the door, and Horace is arguing with the painting. Fulgrim, yeah. Fulgrim. I mean, Fulgrim, sorry. Fulgrim, Fulgrim is arguing hard. with the painting. So it's just like, oh, my God. It's going to be kind of worrying when you've not seen any of what's gone on beforehand or he's <laughs> yeah. just been sent there. It's got to be pretty unnerving, even if you have been prepared before. Yeah, even, yeah <laughs> even if you have. But if you've not seen any of it, it's like all the stories you'd have heard, and then this is what you find. Now, there's this whole argument that goes on about this painting. Uh, he doesn't want to believe Horace would betray the emperor. I mean, the painting is basically telling him now what's going on, um, filling him in on what's going on with Horace. Um He's kind of fascinated how the painting talks to him. There's there's a bunch of peasants talking about the movement in the painting. Uh, and this still doesn't set him off that there's something wrong, that his image is talking back to him. Uh, he's actually spent some time fascinated about how the voice in his head is now in the painting. Ah, oh, it used to be in my head. Now it's in this painting. Nothing weird about that at all. And um, and the and the voice is telling him to go with Horace, go with Horace. He goes, but, he's, but to turn from the emperor is just going too far. You will never know what too far is until you go beyond it. What a ridiculous bit of logic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. It's um, kind of the wrong way around, isn't it, really? Yeah, I, I, that goes too far. What, you don't know that it's too far. You haven't gone that far yet. You don't know too far till you get there. Well, once you've gone too far, you've gone too far. The point is not to. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's really sort of funny. Um how it goes here, and this is where that part comes from the the reading you did on the first part. Where what is what do you fear the most? Yeah, and Fulgrim fears failing. Which is quite. I thought that was quite cool. That whole little, the whole little section. To be honest, you're just seeing Fulgrim be torn down at every. There are parts he you know he fights. <laughs> he fights yeah. against it, but he's just fighting a loser. He's already given in, so it's like. It's just a, kind of almost a token effort now. Um, but, yeah, 
the, uh, that's kind of a, the tragic piece of the whole. Yeah, the most tragic piece of the whole story. Yeah, it's there's, like, go ahead. Just trying to fight, but it's just too late. Yeah. He's already in. He's already in the chains. Yeah, and it just uh, yeah, he's already been taken over. He's too far gone. It's it's really sad. It's just the more you read about this, and the more you read about what happened to his legion and everything before uh, before you got to this point, you kind of see how it just there was all these errors, all these problems, and it just sort of compounded. He almost didn't seem to have a chance at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Um, I mean, obviously, he had choices, and he made choices, and he made some bad choices, but it was those little tiny choices that you don't realize are bad at first, and then they start piling up, and then suddenly you can't say no. And it yeah, really, had, it, had yeah. it happened to anyone else, it wouldn't have happened this way. But as I say, it worked on Fulgrim's weaknesses, and other people weren't there, but... right. Oh, you okay. look on him with pity. Yeah, a bit. Uh, let's see. Meanwhile, what else is going on? Oh, Serena is found by Lucius just after killing another Remembrancer. So she's killed another Remembrancer. Lucius actually comes in to talk to her about getting a painting done, and she's straddling the body with, with a knife. <laughs> and uh, he's like, what's going on in here? And she looks up at him, and she's like, he tried to rape me. Like the first thing she does is and starts crying. And uh, this is kind of neat because this scene I, I, I liked. At first I was like, oh, whatever. Um, Lucius, oh, he tried to do that. Oh, what a vile. You should have killed him then. And she's actually laughing inside her head. Really? All I got to do is say that happened and it justifies murder? What, what, what's with you? And um, Yeah. That and she's enjoying the, the, the effects of being able to lie to her, someone who could kill her and... Yeah, and that that rush of adrenaline, she's she's in that kind of, she knows one run the wrong step here and she's stuffed, right? But um, so then she cuts herself, and he asks her why she's cutting herself, and she says so she won't forget what happens. And then she turns around and she sees she notices his broken nose, and she's talking to him, and he's got that thing about how Lucius did this to him, made him imperfect. And he'll get him back. And she actually brings the knife up to him and says, here. And it's like, go ahead, do it. And it's funny how the, the, the human with the weird cutting sickness uh, affects Lucius. And says, go ahead, cut it. You, you'll never forget. And so that, that starts that whole thing where he cuts his face. Because that actually was in the first trilogy. Yeah, he, he, shows he re- up. reappeared or cut up, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm picturing him looking like the guy, like Pinhead from Hellraiser, which is, you know, all sorts of... Similar, yeah. I mean, he's got a model in 40K. Lucius, yeah, I... the, Lucius the Eternal. So it's it's there for you to see. Yeah, I saw that one. It got the weird long tongue coming out, which I didn't like. It looked reminding me of Venom. But the rest of it, it's got, yeah, the whole face is all hacked up. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was interesting to see how that started with him. Like, why would he start yeah. marring his face? And it was like... The One weird- of the beauties of, this, of the thing is there's those little stories. You have these characters like Khan the Betrayer, Lucius the Eternal, you know, Abaddon, um, and you know, you know their start point and their end point, but you know very little about the bits in between. So it's not always about the whole heresy. It's about these little characters you see. And Lucius appears a number of times through the series, and you, you get to points where you're like, oh, oh, this must be the bit where this happens. Exactly. Because he's got, because he's got this. And then... 
um, actually McNeil wrote about him again quite a lot later on, and he and he flipped your your expectations on you. Like he meet, you meet someone and you're like, oh, this must be this bit. Oh no, oh it wasn't. Oh, <laughs> oh, didn't expect that. Um, that's put a different shift on things. So yeah, it allows them to play around a little bit as well, which is quite cool. Exactly. Uh, and then 16 ends up with uh, Marius is now on the apothecary's table. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh, Marius. It, this is this is what, what I kind of meant uh, last episode when I was saying. Couldn't quite remember who had done what. Right. And you're like, oh, I couldn't remember how far certain characters had gone and who had turned back and... Well, full was it, it was a shame okay. for, I mean, for, for Spazio, and you knew that kind of once you got so far through the book, but it was a bit right. of a shame for him. Exactly. And the thing with, with Marius, it's, he's just so desperately trying to please Fulgrim, and Fulgrim said he yeah. could be, you know, this will make me be- my warriors better soldiers. All right, we're in. We're, let's do it. Yeah. And, and encouraged by Eidolon as well. Of course. So then we roll into Chapter 17. And this is where Fulgrim comes. Oh, this is. He. he Fulgrim comes to the Warmaster's fleet by the twin worlds of the Orishan technocracy. And he realizes he's coming up that they're all focused on the planet. And it's this eight-week journey. And, you know, the eight-week journey, his armor is clean. He doesn't have the uh, that other weapon with him. You know, and even though his thoughts are clearer, he, he wishes he had the, his weapon with him. Yes. So it's like every time he gets away from it, it's like he's addicted to it, you know? But it's like he gets those moments of clarity, and it's like he knows he's better without it. Yeah, this, it's one of those few bits he, he, he's trying to be the person he should be, mm-hmm. and he knows. But it's it's those very few moments of lucidity and amongst the you know the, the, the highs of, of having the weapon on him. Well, and there's a great moment here where he, he gets up behind Horace... And he moves into an attack formation silently. Yeah. And he goes, and he actually thinks to himself, if Eldred, if that Eldred character was telling the truth, he could end this right here. He could stop all of the things he told him was going to happen. He could take Horus out right here and right now. And he actually wants to fire. I think he just wants to fire. I don't know. Do you think he knows the truth deep down? Or do you think he's just excited about shooting at people and just the excitement of that, you know, that rush of excitement? I think there's three parts of it. There's, there's the rush of excitement. There's the fact that he can turn around and go, Horace, 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 you should have been better. I've, uh, I've bested you here. Okay. Um, you know, he gets to turn on his older brother and say, look, I'm caught you out. Uh, and then there's the, the, the doubt of, hold on, what's going on? Um, because he's already been told that Horace was laid low um, and was on death's door, which Eldrad had told him. So you've got a link there that El- at least some of what Eldrad had told him was true. Right. So he's then got that in his head as well. It's the little kind of all three things, I think, playing across him. Mm-hmm. And so now he's sitting there and he kind of itches to fire. And then and then Edelon shows up. And Edelon shows yeah. up with his sword, and he's like, what are you doing here? You asked for your sword. And then it says, Fulgrim could not remember issuing the order, but nodded and resignedly reached out to take the proffered weapon. He looped it around his waist as though it was the most natural thing in the world, and as he snapped the Golden Eagle buckle closed, the desire to order the attack faded like morning mist. Oh, I, I, wondered, I wonder if, if Edelon 
actually like if he actually asked if he actually asked him for it or if somehow the sword sort of tricked him into thinking he asked him for it. Yeah, one of the two. Who knows? You know, I mean, but, but there's obviously something weird. And as soon as he snaps yeah. it on, no, don't shoot Horace. What are you, crazy? Exactly. Oh. Again, just that broken will. Yep. Of he's trying to do the right thing and then couldn't quite go through with it. I like the fact that this is eight weeks of travel plus all the time after um, we were on the Eldar planet. Um, and it's like his hands only healed during the eight weeks of travel. Right. So that <laughs> I'm not 100% sure because it's like Primark recovery time. You'll see it in some other books later on. It's pretty extraordinary. So It's like um, Wolverine extraordinary, isn't it? I mean... Uh, uh, at, at times. I mean, one of the books later on uh, is billed as a... Uh, like, it's the, the Horace Heresy superhero fight book. Um, and there was a, a couple of you know of Primarchs going against each other at various points, and um, yeah, it can be ridiculous um, at the speed they can recover. So I'm not 100 percent sure whether it's a, a vagary of of the way the book's written that it just took him longer this time, or whether the Eldar, the Avatar of Cain, um, the, the burning had actually been that deep to have caused that. That's um. Who knows? That's an interesting one, whether it was even worth thinking about, but it was just stuck out at me a little bit. But again, we don't know either way on that one, so. Right. But yeah. So, let's see. Okay, they decloak. Everyone starts scrambling, and he sits there and sort of enjoys their panic for a few minutes as they're panicking and hailing him. Yeah. What's going on? What's going on? Now, Fulgrim goes on to the Vengeful Spirit. Yeah, we get the we get the scene from the end of the second book from um from the other side. Yeah. Now, as soon as he sees Horus, he's posit- Horus couldn't be doing anything. Look, it's Horus. It's like just the sight of Horus wipes any thought that Horus is going to be a betrayer out of his head. I don't know if this is partly the sword talking to him or or if it's just Horus's magnetism, but or the or the effect of Horus going through what he went through as well. Oh, that's Cause true, yeah. Because at, at this point, he's come out of the temple and he's marked, as it were, by the gods. So, again, yeah, there's there's a lot of different forces that could be at work there. It could be just, you know, the, the act of brothers meeting up. Yeah. So, and th- then they first meet up and the conversation's kind of light and turdy. You know, hey, weren't you in the Pertus Anomaly? Aren't, or are they already compliant? What worlds we found there are now compliant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We virus-bombed them all. Trust me. They're not going to go against us. Uh, and then Horace is still asking why he's there. He's like, listen, you didn't, you know, you just showed up to tell me that? What's going on? And they're joking about, oh, I got to come talk to you because all this brutality. And they're joking. Yeah. But then he brings up Magnus, and Horace gets very serious and says, let's go talk in private. He says, you know, we can leave our people to get reacquainted, the guys who met, you know, met before. Obviously, Saul and Lucius were... On murder with uh, Torgadon and Loken, um, yeah. and of course uh, Avadon, Little Horus, and Edelon go with Fulgrim and uh, and Horus. And uh, Horus introduces Erebus and tells uh, uh, you know they all have stuff to talk about. And Fulgrim instantly doesn't like Erebus. No one does. <laughs> he's, he's no no one does. You go through the whole series. No one likes Erebus. It's it's really weird because it's he's he is such a key player in this game, and it's like 
is he just so obviously a bad guy? Does he just give off a stink of evil that nobody likes him, or is he just no. a complete tool? He's he's uh, he's a guy who walks around in every book. He knows more than anyone else, um, and he acts like he knows more than anyone else, and he acts like they're secrets. So it's you know it's that guy showing off, I suppose. He, he, the amount of times he sat there with Horace and tried to play Horace, um, he's just a smug little git, I think. <laughs> Uh, and just you know, he's, he's sitting quite there with a powerful that, little git, though. I mean, it's not like he's Eidolon, who's no. You he's, know. he's probably got that little smile on his face where you, you know some people have that smile where you think you know something I don't. Right. Uh, so he's, he's probably just a little bit like that. <laughs> uh, that's that's how I picture him. He's always kind of got that glint in his eye, and you're like, you're up to something. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's great. <laughs> Fulgrim sits down and Horace. I heard you're dying, and Horace gets pissed. When he tells him, yeah. I hear he was dying. And, and Fulgrim loves it. The, the irritation, the, the egging him on, the pushing his buttons is making Fulgrim really happy. Again, yeah. you can see uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Fulgrim's not got a chance. <laughs> this whole scene is just Fulgrim just doesn't stand a chance. Uh, Horace controls him, pushes him, pulls him, feeds him, leads him, carrot stick, the lot. He just the does every trick in the book. Horace's arguments when he ta- this okay the stuff Horace talks to Fulgrim about his arguments are no better than the arguments Fulgrim gives to Ferris Manus later in the book they really aren't I think just I, and I think this is one of those things where you see where Fulgrim is so he wants he's almost like the kid brother. You know, I, I, yeah, I know yeah. I compared him to a teenager to in the other book. But, yeah, he wants to be one of the players. He wants to be the best of the best. He wants to be perfect. And Horace is bringing him in. The war master is confiding in him. And he's just happy to go along with it. Even after all the warnings he got, after everything he was told. I mean, it seemed to me that Fulgrim flipped him. Real, I mean, Fulgrim, Horace flipped him really easily. Now, obviously, he's already been corrupted. Yeah, I think Fulgrim might have held a vestige of I'm going in here to get the truth and was almost so hard-laced he was overcompensating to start with. So I don't necessarily think the the turnaround was as big as it looks because Fulgrim's in there going, no, I'm going to be as hard as possible when he's not. Yeah, no. It's like it's, it's a bit of an overshow. Um there are some cool things that happen in this, though, uh, and just some really telling things. When Horace yeah. says, I need to know that I have utter devotion and total obedience from yeah. people, um, he talks about Angron. His designs require that Angron's loyalty, first and foremost, is to me, which is why I'm letting him go out there and do these things. I mean, there's just so many red flags popping up. And then Fulton, Yeah, he, he, I mean, he plays him. He's like, yeah, I've got... I've got um, uh, Angron, yeah, he's mine, but he's he's not useful as you, Fulgrim. Right. Uh, and then, you know, but, but, but you don't trust me. I gave you the sword that killed me, Fulgrim. You know, Ferris can, Fulgrim couldn't say anything quite of that magnitude to Ferris. Couldn't yeah. have said, you know, here's yeah. the blade that will kill me. That one me. actually, that, 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 I think that conversation comes up later. That, when that's he later, tells, isn't it? Yeah, yeah sorry, when I've he sends Fulgrim to Istvan 5, and he's like, you're sending because, me there? Yeah, because they give, he gives him the sword here, sorry, right. yeah. But this is where uh, they're talking, and then Fulgrim's voice talks to him while Horace is talking to him, and Erebus' brow furrows, and he looks over at Fulgrim when the voice talks, like he can hear it. 
Like he knows something. Yeah, he knows something's going on. Which yeah. is great. He's in tune with chaos. And then when the chaos comes into the room and he's not the one who brought it in, he's yeah, looking Ere- around for it. Like he can sniff it out. I love this that bit. This is Erebus is, yeah, at this point, I 100% believe Erebus thinks he's in absolute control of the situation. In book three, he already kind of talked to Horace, oh, this is what must happen. And when Horace turned around and went, no, I'm in charge. We'll do things how I want to do them. Erebus was like, ah, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Right. When, when, That's not good. Or when, when they summon the demon. When they summon the demon, pack. this is the way I always do it. Oh, really? Yeah. This is the way you always do it? Yeah. Well, don't forget, I'm still in charge. Yeah, if you say so, okay. Yeah. And then you get it again with the, so Erebus thinks, it's cool, I've got it. I've got Horace. And, da, 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 da. and then Fulgrim's fallen without Erebus having any part of it. Erebus is like, um, but, but I didn't do that. So yeah. what's going on over there? Is someone else at work? And then oh, Erebus man. actually speaks out of turn and Fulgrim's all over him. Who the heck are you to be talking to us without being spoken to? And then Horace like, oh, he's my advisor. And uh, and then Horace starts pushing him for information on Magnus. What they tell you about Magnus? They're taking him back to Earth. Why? You know yeah. what's what? You know, are they? Why are they bringing? Because Magnus knows because Magnus was in the temple with him. Or yes. his spirit form was. And so if they're coming to get him, are they coming to get him because he's going to tell? Or are they coming to get him because he's in trouble? And he's just praying that it's because he's in trouble. Because he's like, if, if, if he lets I mean, him know too early, we're, we're, then we're in trouble. Yeah, half. I mean, yeah, that's it. Halfway through this conversation, Fulgrim's realized that what's going on. He knows Horace is going to turn because he's, he's asking himself that question. Is he scared of Magnus because Magnus knows the truth and knew what Eldrad knew? Right. So he's, he's almost there already. Yep. And as I say, I, I think he just went in with a lot of bluster. Yeah, and, it's, uh, and like I said, Horace is going to have to deal with Magnus if Magnus is... You know, depending on what happens. Yeah. Horace talks of glory and all this praise denied and what their need to take hold of their perfect glory and Fulgrim just goes along with it. Um, he says, oh, the emperor's betrayed us and Fulgrim actually at that point actually has a proper reaction and is kind of horrified at the, at the at just the fact that he even said, that Horace even said it. And he knows he should kill Horace even for saying it because... He can't. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Those links are, are hard to break. It's the the first time it's been voiced. Yeah, out loud. You know, explicitly. There's no way to misread that. And at, this is the point where really where he tells him, you know, you're the phoenix, revive from the ashes and rise. And he is here, Fulgrim. Fulgrim, the the the, the good Fulgrim, the Primarch who wanted to be perfect and wanted to be a copy of his emperor dies right here yeah and uh and gives oh i mean he he joins with horus he gives himself over to corruption hasn't completely given himself over to the demon inside him because he still doesn't recognize it for what it is <laughs> no but he start there are crossover there start to be a lot of crossovers you know he starts to talk about the divinity of the emperor which the demon's already been hinting at so you, there's there's a little bit starting to tie in in that all right. Uh, you know what? Let's keep plugging away, man. We got three more chapters before a break. So let's hit chapter 18. 18. On Deep Orbital DS191. Okay. 
I know I say this about a lot of ch- I really loved this chapter. <laughs> I felt so bad for Solomon. It's like, because th- we've seen this already. And I mean, I know we're only on book five, and I'm not complaining, saying I've seen this before in the earlier books. It happens a lot in the first five books, the nature of the books. Yeah. It, it happens a Just, lot. These are the guys who are getting called, and they keep getting sent off on missions, and then nobody backs them up. And I was like, oh. Solomon and the second are in there. They're fighting the, the orcs on this orbital platform. They bust in, and the plan is to bust in, bust holes in when they come in in their little those drop torpedoes or whatever they are, yeah. and let the vacuum of space do most of the work for them and suck out most of the orcs. There's so much orc crap around because they tear everything up. They bust it, it up, up that it actually blocks up the holes. And stops them from getting sucked out. And now they got to fight these damned orcs. And they're yeah. so outnumbered. And they're like, crap. And they know Julius and Marius are coming from the first and third. And they're supposed to be here. And the fighting gets bad. And they're like, they're losing. And it's getting rough. Yeah, it's quite easy when you read the, the orc rule books and things like that. It's quite easy to look at the comical side of orcs because there's a lot of humor involved in them. Yeah. But um, it's quite easy to forget how brutal they are in the when it comes to fighting, when it comes to the, the, the fluff. Right. You know, the hulking great. They love to fight and they're as strong as a space marine. They're as tough as a space marine and they're just... Are they strength four in the, in the game? They're brutes. Uh, I, I can't remember, to be honest. I, I mean, it's, but, it, seems like, well, it seems like a silly question, but the only reason I ask is because obviously I play fantasy. And orcs are the same thing, you know, the, the the guys who love to fight, the killing machines, big and brutal. But they're they're the same strength as men. They're tougher. They're hard to kill. They're toughness four, but they're still just strength three like normal men, which yeah, I always thought is, was weird. It's a, it's almost a part of their um, lack of uh, finesse. I know that's tied into weapon skill, but oh. I, I think it's well, no, part it's of that. Strength you know, three, you know, weapon skill. Yeah, is yeah still no, absolutely. Yeah, too, yeah, I know that's tied in, but I think it represents um, kind of. Uh, a clumsy blow is not as powerful as a strong blow. Ah, I got you, got you. I mean, that could be part of how I see it anyway. No, it's not bad. In fact, they're trying. They're throwing grenades down. They've got all these orcs. At this, they're sort of at a crossroads here. And uh, the orcs, all of a sudden, as they throw a few things, they hear all this. They hear, he hears this orc language, this talk. He doesn't know what they're saying. But he recognizes the cadence and the tone. This guy is gearing them up for, a, for an assault. He's getting his troops ready. <laughs> and he turns around and he says, they're coming up the middle. He's like, that's my move. Solomon's like, no, wait a minute. He's like, so the, the orcs pulled his own move on him, and now he's surrounded, and there's trouble, and all of a sudden, head, you know, head, perfect headshots start happening from somewhere else. He's like, they're here. Finally, Julius and Marius arrive, and he turns around, and it's not them. It's Tarvitz and Lucius. Yeah, good old Tarvitz leading the way. Yep. And uh, the first and third never show. And Solomon is kind of hurt, and he's confused. Like, Wait, where were you? My, my brothers. And it's like, yeah, it's oh. a lonely place to be. Yeah, I know. I feel bad. Um, and then, okay, and then Vespasian. It cuts to Vespasian, and this is important. Uh, he's been trying to see Fulgrim for a while. Um, and... He's worried about these changes that Fabius, that the apothecary is doing, because he says there's, it's, it's not just changing them physically. He thinks it's changing them spiritually. He thinks yeah. that it's, it's bringing about some sort of decline of moral character in this group. So he, yeah, he, he actually stands up. One of the few people to stand up in those first few 
legions and, and say, hold on, hold on, this is not what I was, um, this is not what I signed out for. This is not what we're, we are supposed to be. Yeah. And uh, so he goes in there and he wants to talk to Fulgrim about this stuff. And he sees that there's different swords laid out in front of the busts that Fulgrim have done of the captains of the first, second, and third. Um, but one of the swords is in the middle of the forehead of Solomon. Yeah. Solomon's uh, bust has been trashed. Yeah, I mean, those, 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 you've got Fireblade, which was made by Manus. You've got the, the Demon Sword, the Le- uh, Leon Sword, and which is the one you're talking about. Yeah, and, you've and then, the you, then you've got the um, uh, the Blade okay. of the Kinebrak. Yeah. And uh, so you got the second century's destroyed. And he goes, he goes, I want to know, he goes, why were the first and third held back? They were supposed to go in and back up Solomon. And he goes, why? Well, what happened? He goes, what, what happened? They were late. Were they killed? No. Lucius and Tarvitz got there in time. I made sure to, I sent them in and made sure they were there. And Fulgrim seems almost disappointed. Yeah. And um, there's a, what, what is this part? Wait, three, page 363. Um, how, oh, that's right. Lucius and Tarvitz. And Fulgrim says, a, a, a shock to see a hint of annoyance on Fulgrim's face. How courageous of them. They shouldn't have needed to, said Vespasian. Julius and Marius were supposed to support the second, but they were held back. Why? Are you questioning me, Vespasian? Asked Fulgrim. I'm enacting the war master's will. Do you dare to suggest that you know better than he how we should prosecute this foe? Vespasian was stunned at Fulgrim's pronouncement and said, With all due respect, my lord, the war master's not here. How can he know best how to prosecute the greenskins? And Fulgrim smiled, and lifting the gray-sheened sword from the remains of Solomon's statue, he said, Because he knows that this battle's not about the greenskins. Then what's it about, my lord? I should clearly wish to know. It's about righting a monstrous wrong. And he, there he starts telling him. This is going to Istvan. This, what does it have to do with Istvan? He's all confused, and then... He shows him the painting. Yeah. And the, now, did, is the painting actually moving? It says here the lips bulge, twisting in a grin. I mean, is the mouth actually opening and closing when it speaks now? I mean, is it physically moving? It seems to be. Does it appear to be moving? Is it actually moving? Is it just a trick? That's the beauty of chaos, isn't it? <laughs> and then it's you, a thing. It's a thing born of chaos. So it's much like when we talked about earlier that the signs and symbols that shifted didn't quite feel right. Right. You could probably, you know, logic. There's a logical connection there to this thing was born of um, those chaotic uh, you know, openings from from what's her name. So you know, it's it's a thing born of chaos that's then been used, and we we know it's. It's kind of being used in that way, so it sort of stands to reason that it, it could be moving itself or it could just be the impression of moving. Or And then there's the great part where it, it looks into Vespasian's soul. And it's exa- yeah. it, it just looks at him, says, let me see your deepest, darkest desires, and it starts to try to dredge up his soul, and he knows there's something wrong with it. And the more it violates him, the more certain he is there's something wrong, and the more his spirit rises to the occasion. Like, he actually has an uplifting of his spirits. He feels better about himself. He, like, you can't keep him down. And the, the painting just, it, it can't, it, it, there's nothing for it to latch onto. He's actually a pure, he's pure of heart. There's no, 
nothing to grip hold of, nothing yeah. to latch onto. Uh, and this is kind of the first time we really see that this is a defense against chaos is the purity of soul and, and, mm-hmm. and all that, which we see in 40 K all the time, but in 30 K, obviously with demons being relatively new to the, to the scene that we, um, that yeah, this is the first time we see actually there's a defense against this, but then and it's then the, not going to, Vespasian's not going to be able to tell anyone about it. Well, the, the painting tells Fulgrim he harbors nothing. He's worthless. Kill him. And Fulgrim uses the anathema because he actually says it because he says his name and Vespasian looks over at him and says, was he just talking to the weapon? Like, yeah. Oh, yes, he was because when you say the person's name, it kills them. So that's it for Vespasian. He's dead. And I liked him, too. That was a, just a damn shame that he was gone that quickly. It's a good way to go, though. Yeah. Standing in front of Fulgrim in the painting and defying it all the way to the end. It wasn't even a blink. Didn't know why it, this was happening. Just, didn't No, he it. just stood absolutely strong in his own convictions. Like, I don't care what anyone else tells me. I have my own belief. No one's, no one's even come close to making me shake those beliefs. Yep. You know, he was prepared to listen, but he wasn't prepared to believe in any of the lies. Right. He just stood strong right till the end. Yes, he did. And then we get to the last part where um, basically uh, Fulgrim goes over onto the deep orbital you know, thing, and he's in his full regalia, and he starts his speechifying. There, we're going to wipe out the green skins, but only a little of us will do that. The rest are going to go to Istvan Three with Adelon. And they'll show the world leaders in the death card how real warriors fight. Yes. And, you know, uh, and it's, it's great where Fulgrim feels a moment of sadness. Uh, Fulgrim's amusement turned instantly to sorrow as he understood that, but for Vespasian's stubbornness, a great many of these warriors would have made fine additions to the army of the War Master's new crusade. He's kind of sad. You know, I've got to kill all these guys. I don't really want to. If Vespasian would have listened to me and let these guys be altered and be sort of you know it's one thing physically altering them sort of you know anyone who accepts the physical alterations the the attempt to use science to improve you know the emperor made us and we're trying to be perfect the idea of changing what he made which really is i mean we could sit and talk about this for a while just the uh, you know and we talked about a little on the last episode you know we're going to make it, us more perfect. That phrase doesn't mean anything. No. It doesn't, it's, 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 you know. And just the, the very act of going against the emperor is the first, is a, an opening. Exactly. Which then leads to everything else. And so this, this willingness to accept physical alterations to what he, he made me this way. I'm going to f- change myself physically. That is, there's a mental process. There are a mental step that goes along with it on that road yeah. to corruption. And, just sitting here talking about it, how much of a, a faith thing is that? Yeah. In, in, in a world without gods, as it were, um, it, it already appears that just stepping away from what the emperor's word is, is, is that chink in an armor. So you've got that whole, that whole deity thing going on again, kind of in the background, not talked about. Exactly. Cause the imperial truth relies on that idea of science, you know, that, yeah. that science, there is no, there is no, there is no 
you know, spirit realm. It's all what's here, science. And, and, and so, all Fabius is doing is science. Yeah. And so yeah, it's I find so I'll take wrong. That, exactly. That it, that it leads people down a path. So it's a nice little kind of yeah, it was. It was really yeah, because it was that that when he's uh, if they, if if he wasn't so stubborn, they could be joining the War Master. Well, what makes you think they would switch just because Vespasian was that? You know, do you think he was, he would have helped with the corruption? He would have done something? No, not necessarily. It, I think if you saw someone of you know Vespasian, just in that little bit, you sh- showed what kind of character Vespasian is. Yeah, um, he's your Maximus Decimus Meridius. You know, if he'd turned and bowed to the emperor. In, in the film, you know, it's the same right. kind of thing. It'd have taken people with him just because of who he was. Oh, exactly. If, if Vespasian says it's all right, then everything's good because he's the best of us, you know. Exactly. So now these guys all leave, and now all Pilgrim has to do is convince Ferris Manus to join with Horus. Was there ever a chance? I mean, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not criticizing Graham McNeil here. I mean, when I read this, though, I was like, wow, this is just some of the weakest argument. Fulgrim has no, I mean, I don't know if he's just a a, a bad orator or, you know, he's, but he just, I mean, it it seemed like he walked in. Hey, what's going on, Ferris? Nothing. What's wrong? Why are you here? You know, uh, our father's kind of a jerk and uh, me and Horace think we should overthrow him. You should join us, really, because, you know, you're my brother and we do things together. That seems like the crux of his whole argument, which... You know, you, yeah. There's, yeah. I mean, there's no buttering up. There's no, you know, I mean, the stuff that the obviously that Lorgar and Erebus are playing the long game, and even Horus has been playing the long game, and it's to some degree at this point. He's moving quietly and subtly, and we're gonna Fulgrim just like is like a bull in a china shop. I mean, I just isn't it showing all the mistakes he's made through the whole book though? That and that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm saying. I'm not yeah. trying to say it's Graham so, like Neil's no, fault. It's I, just he, I think again. A, it's hard to write these kind of conversations mm-hmm. between two um, primarchs who are super beings when compared to super beings. Right. Um, so you've got that aspect of it, which I, it's always right. And, and it's hard to write Fulgrim particularly, I think. Um, but then you've got the fact that he he does things this way. This this is kind of the way Fulgrim works. He right. walks in and he's like, right, I'm going to do it this way. And it's going to work because I'm Fulgrim. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's a lot of it. And he's just going. I'm going to walk in there, and me and him are best of buddies. We've been best of buddies for you know ever since we were found. Um, and he's going to believe me, isn't he? Plus, he's got the. He's not the same Fulgrim he was. He's right. I don't. You know, not everything that the swords, the, the the demons doing to him is improving him in in those respects. Oh, it's not like it's giving him extra powers in that respect. Right. It's actually confused him, muddled him a little bit. Yeah. Um, but also Ferris Manus is, I don't think he's the kind of guy you go in and butter up. You know, you just lay the facts out to him. That's the yeah, way that's it works. True. So, you know, you lay in there and you could say to him, yeah, okay, right, so the emperor's gone back, he's abandoned us. It's like, okay, yeah, he's abandoned us. Um, but he hasn't, like, he hasn't misused the iron hands at any point. You know, it's not like um, he just sent them off to the other side of space. And, you know, Ferris wasn't found on a planet and... and uh, quote unquote betrayed by the emperor when he was found. Right. He hasn't got any of those inherent obvious issues with the emperor, except perhaps that the emperor retreated after Eleanor and has abandoned the crusade. Okay. So well, there's less in there to working as true. well. 
Well, here, let me, and like I said, let me just back up and clarify. I want to make sure everyone's clear. I, I, I said, I'm not saying that this was poorly written. I'm just asking, no, is, no. Is, is this, I mean, it's probably written exactly like it would have gone down. I'm just saying, is, I, I was, it just seemed like Fulgrim had, was so out of his depth here. And I'm wondering, did Horace really ever think he could get Ferris Manus onto his side? He's like, you told me you could get him onto your side. What? I mean, uh, I know very little about Ferris Manus, but is there anything in this guy's background or anything about him that made anyone think this is one of the guys we could turn? I think uh, I mean, he's not—he's not particularly. Um, he's brutal and he's harsh and he's not particularly a nice guy, but he seems in the little bit I've seen of him in this so far, he seems about as he. I mean, you'd have just as good a time at turning Russ. If there are. Uh, mm, uh, you're there never going to turn Russ. Between, there are differences between the Iron Hands and others. I, the Iron Hands are uh, possibly got like the least humanity in a way. Okay, you see yeah. it later in the books when they're fighting with um, the humans. They're like, okay, keep up or die. That's simple. Yeah. Fle- well, I mean, flesh, is, flesh is weak. So maybe lots he's of the legions at, are like that, though, from what I've read. They keep are up or die, but one of the worst. Okay, I can um, see. I can see where you're going with that. So possibly that. So there's that that maybe that lack of link to humanity. That he's thinking, well, you know, maybe he's not going to worry. But I think Fulgrim probably just oversold himself. Fulgrim's like, look, we were found together. We made these swords. He's my best buddy. You know, he's going to do what I say because it's because that's the way it works. You know. Yeah. Well, even later we, in the book, right at the end, when they're fighting, I was your brother. I'd have followed you unto death. Why couldn't you do the same for me? Yeah. And that's that's huge. We'll talk about that when we get there because that one line sums up Fulgrim, I think. He just misunderstood. Yeah, but it, it is. It's that, but he got, he got a lot of things wrong. He he <laughs> he valued people on different terms, and they valued people. He he was he was almost kind of um, not quite as developed in those ways. He, but he looked up to all of them, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah. It's like, <laughs> And maybe, you know, do you think he's got an inferiority complex, a, a Napoleonic bit of a complex here? Yeah. I mean, he ain't short, but... He I ain't mean, French, thankfully. He almost... <laughs> but uh, he sort of, I mean, he really does seem... I mean, he his legion was almost wiped out before... Yeah. You know, maybe he does. He's afraid of failing. He, there's There's several instances we've seen already where... You know, well, am I not perfect? Is this all a sham? Is this a lie? Is my perfection a joke? Am I am I a joke? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got yeah. some issues. He doesn't quite know where he fits, and it's, I don't know, it's sad. It really is. It's kind of sad. It, he's very tragic. I mean, he's kind of an idiot in parts of it, and I know I say that, and people don't like necessarily when I say that, but... He needed a little bit more time with Daddy. Yeah, he needs something. Mm. So let's jump to Chapter 19. Okay. Uh, Manus is with First Captain Santar, okay, and the Morlocks in their terminate. What the hell's a Morlock? Uh, this is close cadre. It's his. Um, so it's like the Phoenix Guard. It's like his yeah. personal. Okay, yeah. They're and they're there in Terminator guard. armor. Yeah. And Ferris is happy to see Fulgrim, but when, when they when they last saw each other and they left, it was pretty strained. Uh, they were on the pride of the Emperor, and it felt like they were running a gauntlet of enemy warriors instead of Praetorians. Of their closest brothers, it's really interesting because Ferris Manus is making excuses for Fulgrim, you know, uh, and the first captain is all sort of offended by the way Fulgrim was treating his Primarch, you know, um, yeah. 
And this, there's great, this great part. Now, does Ferris Manus have normal eyeballs? Or does I he have... I think s- they're black. I thought that's uh, silver. Silver or black, yeah. It describes like him as silver eyes. See, this is the weird thing, because, like I said, I was listening to the thing about... Um, from uh, Massacre, from the Black, uh, the the Forge World book, and apparently yeah. his hands aren't like liquid metal. Apparently, or there's something that they're they're not they're not you know, it's not like he's the 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 thing from Terminator Two, which is sort of what I pictured. Like they could bend and move and shape. Um, so I'm wondering if his like, why are, why are his eyeballs silver? What's up with that? If somebody knows, please let us know because I don't quite get it. But I'll read this part here. Um, oh, in fact, he not only makes excuses, but he says, you know, Fulgrim can't admit that he need that he needed saving because that says that he did something that was less than perfect. So don't mention it around him, Gabriel. I'm serious. That's a full affairs man. Like, Listen, please don't piss off my brother because he's sensitive. <laughs> and it's funny. It's like, you know, and, you know, you got that little brother. Listen, don't say this in front of my little brother because it's just going to yeah. upset him. And Santar shooks his head. His lip curled in a sneer. Too damn superior, the lot of them. Did you see the way their first captain sized me up when we first boarded the Pride of the Emperor? You didn't have to be old sister to feel the condescension coming from them. They think they're better than us. You can see it in every one of their faces. Ferris Man has turned to face him, and the full power of his silver eyes bored in on Centaur, their cold depths chilling in their controlled anger. Centaur knew he'd gone too far. And he cursed the fire within him that surged in him at the thought of any insult done to his legion. My apologies, Lord. I spoke out of turn. And it's just like, you know, he just turns on him and stares at him, you know. And it, But Fulgrim's happy. I mean, uh, Ferris Manus is happy they're there. He's yeah, like, he, he, wants, he wants to kind of get back on good terms. Yeah. And then... Uh, Centaur, perhaps he feels the same and comes to make amends. I doubt it, said Ferris Manus. It's not in Fulgrim's nature to admit when he's wrong. Man, talk if you're if you're underlining true statements in this book, this one gets three underlines, I think. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not in his nature to admit that he's wrong. I don't think he knows when he's wrong. No, you know what I'm saying? Doesn't enter his head. So uh Fulgrim's arrived and he's got Julius and ten Phoenix Guard. Uh, and the Phoenix Guard go, and they go and take their place around the room next to each of the Morlocks. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Julius goes over, stands by Centaur. And, you know, Ferris Man, glad to see you. Uh, the You know, um, and then Ferris Manus invites Fulgrim into the Iron Forge, which is his, like, his room. Like, yeah. Nobody's allowed there except him and other Primarchs. Nobody. Um, and it's great because back on, back on the pride of the emperor, Marius is sitting waiting to hear from Horace. Like, are we going to walk out of here peaceful like, or am I going to start shooting? He's ready to, fi- you know, he's ready to open fire yeah, from Fulgrim. Yeah. Yeah. And he hopes Fulgrim fails. He wants to, he's like, he's just, he's so excited. There's just, that that a battle against other Astartes, like you know, it, it's just that corruption, that excitement, that pushing things past their limits. He wants them to fail. Um, we see also in that, in that as well that um, Fabius has got a whole team working for him now, so everything's been stepped up. Uh huh. In, in in readiness for his fun. Oh, that's right, Fabius. He's got yeah. He's got a whole a core of uh, they're called the augmentative surgeons. <laughs> 
Churgans, Churgians, or whatever they oh, yeah. pronounce it. However they pronounce it. Um, so, yeah, we got yeah. to move back to uh, Fulgrim trying to persuade Ferris. Yeah, you're back in the Iron Forge, and he sees the gun that he made for Vulcan. And he asks him, how come Vulcan didn't take it? And he says, you know, he doesn't like anything that's not shaped by an anvil. And I, he can shape metal, apparently, with his own hands. And it's interesting because I don't know much. I, don't, I know almost nothing about Vulcan. But apparently Vulcan is another guy who likes to craft his weapons and, yeah, and he, create he was stuff. A, he was a blacksmith and all that on the planet. And he has his big hammer and likes to create things slightly different from the Iron Hands because he's more about the fun- form as well as the function. Yeah. And they start looking at this stuff and he starts saying, you know, I thought you didn't care for art, but you made this thing so beautiful, this beautiful weapon. And Ferris Manus tells him that ugliness is a measure of imperfection. He's, you know, you, it doesn't have to be ugly to work. It could, you know, you can make things that look nice. And he says, ugliness is a measure of imperfection. And Fulgrim tells him, then you are perfectly imperfect. Yeah. Fulgrim uh, asks him, you know, when did you see the Emperor last? I was there when he left us. And Ferris Manus doesn't want to hear any of this nonsense. It's, yeah, this is where kind of Ferris Manus is so straight up and down that um, Fulgrim's like, but he abandoned us. And it's like, no, he said he was going back to do some work. <laughs> no, there's no... Yeah, Fulgrim <laughs> just... Uh, Ferris just takes it. It's like, well, he said he was going back to do some work, so he's going back to do some work. Yeah, what's what's your problem? But yeah. Why is obviously this- a, a number of the other Primarchs are like, oh, yeah, I don't have him anymore. And it's weird because he, you know, he's like he's you know he's in his uh, Iron Forge. He doesn't allow anybody. Like when he's in there, he's by himself. He just he seems a little out, out of touch with everything else that's going on. He doesn't seem to care either. Hey, we got jobs to do. We're going to do our jobs. Um. But then you get to this part where he's not going to listen to this. He's just, I'm done. You can't talk like this. Oh, yeah, it's the, it's the um, he's going to become a god. Yeah. Ferris and I just, I just, don't be stupid. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> that's what it is. It's like, how do you get to that? You know, it's, it's not going to happen. Because he's just straight there. He's like, that just makes no sense whatsoever. You talk. You know, he's there, as they're going back and forth... And he yeah. tells him that the perfect being is, is a lie, and Ferris pushes him away, and he goes, this is the new direction? This is what you're telling me about? He goes, oh, it's going to be beautiful. Don't you see it? He goes, all I see is betrayal. Roared him. You're not talking about claiming back what we've won. You're talking about betraying everything we stand for. You must listen to me. The mechanic comes in. There's all of this. There's, gonna, if, there's no mercy for those who are on the wrong side. And that's actually true, too, because both sides are, have no mercy for the other ones. They both no. think it's the other side. Um, He's desperate here because he yeah. must know that, that that argument wouldn't work with Ferris. Right. And he goes, I it beg, wouldn't, I beg wouldn't you matter if there were 19 versus 1, Ferris would stand. Oh, yeah. And then uh, he says, uh, I beg you for the sake of our brotherhood. Brotherhood? Our brotherhood died when you turned traitor. And he basically gives him the whole plan and says, all this is going on. And he yeah. tells him the whole plan. They're all waiting. It, it's happening. It's already happening. You might as well. And here comes the weakest argument. You might as well join us because we did it anyway. <laughs> Seriously desperate. And he goes, I don't know what happened to you. And he goes, but there's only one fate for traitors. You're going to kill me? And he says, you know. 
And then Fulgrim looks at him and says, I am your sworn honor. I swear I'm not lying. I know you're not lying, Fulgrim, said Ferris sadly. And that's why you have to die. And I was just like, oh. That's Ferris. It, but, it, Ferris but, just yeah. coldly, logically worked it out. He's gone, Fulgrim believes this. So he's got to die. Yeah. Simple. There's he, no, I can't turn him back. So there's only one other answer. Yeah, he's and a traitor. The, he's a traitor to the logic. emperor. Yeah. Any, anyone who goes against the emperor and the emperor's will and the imperial truth, I mean, they, haven't they been doing that for the last 200 years? Join us, or if you're not going to be a part of it, or you don't qualify as a part of it, yeah, you don't get to live anymore. I mean, maybe if he saw some weakness in Fulgrim's argument or whatever, but you know, he he saw into Fulgrim and saw he believed 100% in what he was saying, so that was it. Yeah, so now they're fighting. And the fight starts, and they're hitting each other back and forth. And Fulgrim gets an, uh, a, a good swing in, and Ferris Manus grabs the sword, the one that he made, that he gave to, to Fulgrim. It yeah. And he, he just grabs it, like catches the swing in his hand. And he says, I made this, and I can break it. And he squeezes his hands, and the thing explodes. He's a daddy. Which is awesome. They yeah. both get knocked to the ground. They're both dazed. Um, where's the part that's in here? You'd best kill me because I'll see you dead if you don't. And he's going back there. Oh, here it is. You're my brother, Ferris. I would have walked unto death with you. Why could you not have done the same for me? And you're not my brother. And so Fulgrim can't bring himself to kill him. And he didn't come with the sword this time. He came with no. his old sword, so there's nobody screaming in his head to kill him. So he tells him, I'll always be your brother. And well, it's, then, it's distant. It's distant enough for Fulgrim to ignore it. Yeah. And yeah. there he cold cocks him, knocks yeah. him out. Um, but I think that sums it all up there, really. I would have followed you unto death. And that's exactly what he's doing. Horace, mm. you say you'll be my best friend if I do this with you? I'm in. I mean, isn't it? I mean, am I, am I getting this wrong? Because it really sounds like that little, like, you could really come up to Fulgrim and be like, come on, I'll be your best friend. Well, okay, if you'll be my best friend, I'll do There's it. There's a bit of that, yeah. You know? <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt, there is a bit of that. And uh, so then he leaves, and as he walks out, he's walking out with um, the with the Warhammer, the one that he had given to Ferris Forge Manus. Forgebreaker, yeah. With Forgebreaker, and... Santar sees this and was like, wait a minute, something's not right. But before he can do anything, Julius yells Phoenician. And all of the Phoenix guards standing next to all of the Morlocks decapitate all of the Morlocks. And um, Pretty much. And he pretty much guts Santar. I thought Santar was a dead man here. But he's uh, got a lot of cybernetic augmentation to himself as well. So, And he's a space marine. And he's a space marine. He goes, where is Ferris Manus? He's alive. He wouldn't listen. And now you will all suffer. <laughs> it's like. And then they call Marius. Marius, we'll be making our way to the Firebird. We could use something to keep the 52nd Expedition Supes busy. You may open fire. Oh, man. This is getting. <laughs> it's like, ooh, this is getting exciting. And that's the end of uh, Chapter 19. So they're on their way now. He's. <laughs> Knocked Ferris Manus out cold and is just leaving. And anybody who might have just tried to stop them was decapitated. Except for Centaur, who was gutted. 
It's like, oh my goodness. And then and then the ship was crippled. Yep. So now Fulgrim actually gets on the ship and stops Marius from destroying the Tenth Legion. He leaves them crippled and slowed down so that he can make his getaway and get where he needs to be. But uh, Marius wanted to just destroy the whole thing, which yeah. technically was probably the best plan. Another mistake from Fulgrim. Yeah. If you can't turn him and you had him right there, you should have just wiped him out right there. Granted, it made for a more exciting battle on the planet. Yeah, it, it didn't matter in the end. But the long run. Exactly. But it, it could have, yeah. Um. And as they go through the warp, as they're trying to get where they're going, it's brilliant. Yeah. there's this huge violent pulse that kills a bunch of the astropaths. Storm of fearsome power erupted in the warp. Tsunamis of unreality that crashed around the vessels of the 28th um, smashed one to destruction before the few surviving navigators managed to fight their way through the storms and guide the ships to rel- relative safety. Uh, Moments prior, you had terrifying shrieks of agony and terror that echoed the length of the, the terror. Terror, sorry, um, echoed the length and breadth of the pride of the emperor. Alarm sounding and all that. It's like, it's like the destruction of Alderaan. I have that written here. Millions of yeah. voices cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Yeah, but the forty k grim dark version. This is the virus bomb on Istvan three, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Meanwhile, the celebration for this upcoming battle that they're going to be, you know, having was completely over the top. It's no longer just to toasting the, the imminent victory. It's a full on insanity fest here. Uh, Becca Kinska is ready to unveil her, unveil her play. Uh, warp storms are making it two months to reach us von three. Uh, so she's finishing up her play before they get there. It'll be ready. Fulgrim is studying Blake some more. And I love how there's a part of it he doesn't like. He comes apart, apart across a part of it that he doesn't like. The phoenix is an angel, the clapping of whose wings is the roar of thunder. And this thunder is the fearful note that heralds the cataclysm and the roar of the onrushing waves that will destroy paradise. It's like, well, I'm done reading Blake. <laughs> tears it up, yeah. rips it out. I kind of wish I read that bit at the start of the first one. (laughs) Someone should have pointed this passage out to me before. But so all this is going on while they're trying to get through the warp storms to get to Istvan 3 because the warp storms are slowing down even them. You know, Kaz is making it easier for Horus and harder for the other people, but it's still, you know, causing trouble. Um, This is... uh, we we cut back to Ostian, okay, yeah. and uh, he's almost done with his sculpture, and he wants to leave. He doesn't, you know, he's not saying anything to anybody. He doesn't lower himself to complaining about the way things are happening, you know. But he just, the, you know, it, it's getting too yucky in this place for him. And uh, it's interesting because he recalls seeing Fulgrim at La Fenice when they're when they're redoing it and stuff. And Fulgrim has all these piercings and these scarification tattoos now. And he just remembers seeing him and being terrified at, like, the changes that have come over him. Which I thought was just this whole little passage as he's finishing up was very interesting. Yeah. Definitely. Um, And then we're coming all over. We're cut to Istvan 3. Solomon is there. The firestorm destroyed their bunker. So they got in and they, they avoided the virus bomb, but then the firestorm that went through, trashed the bunker, and they were buried under it. Him and uh, Gaius Kafin, his uh, 
you know, his first in command. Uh, Gaius died after three days of being buried there. And uh, Solomon is saved, and he gets up to fight, but he's wounded, and he's in pain. He's in physical and psychological pain. He's not dealing with this betrayal very well. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, none of them are, but he's just really having trouble with it. And he's physically, he got really racked up, crushed under that building. And he's not healing as fast. They don't have all the equipment there to help him out. Um, And he actually finds Tarvitz and Lucius in them. And he's proud that they've stepped up and done this. In fact, uh, there's a part where it said that Tarvitz actually offered to hand command back to him. Because he was a senior commander, and he said no. You're doing fine, yeah. Yeah, because you're yeah. doing fine. It's not about his personal glory. This, this guy has finally found his place. Let him let him go. Let him do his thing. I um, I like that whole kind of him trying to make sense of it. I thought that was one of the best examples of that we've seen. Yeah. Um, trying to understand what happened, why it happened, how it happened, and, and his regrets in not standing up and saying anything. Yeah. That was really cool. Now here we're going to end. Here's where we're going to end up, uh, chapter twenty, and then we'll take our break. Um, he's walking around trying to make sense of it, like you said, and he hears this noise, and he goes and he sees Lucius is fighting, and he comes out and he sees Lucius fighting against these guys, and Lucius sees him, and he goes, "They're breaking in," and so he goes running up, you know, mm-hmm. um, he goes running up to him, and. Uh, Lucius and him kill all the attackers. And him and Lucius are the last two standing. And he's like, damn, all those guys and, you know, all of our guys got killed too. And we can't afford to lose as many as they lost. And as he's looking around, he's like, the whole unit is dead and how it's hard. And he's like, he's looking at the bodies going, man, I can't tell. It's it's hard to tell traitors Marines from loyalist Marines. And as he looks around, he's like, oh. All 30 of Lucius's... And Lucius had 30 men. Are they all dead? And is he looking around? He's like, wait a minute. There's only 30 men here. Yeah. And then it slowly dawns on him. Lucius starts to laugh. Or, yeah, Lucius starts to laugh at him and says, thank you for helping me. Uh, Lucius had turned on his own unit. This was the point from book three where he was going off. And, and to he let was, him in, yeah. To let him in. And he was killing all of his own men. And when he saw Solomon, he just screamed, they're breaking in. And Solomon just assumed that he would be fighting traitors. So Solomon killed all of his own guys. He helps Lucius let the guys in. And um, Lucius takes great delight in in every part of breaking down of Solomon in this part. Yeah, because he hates him. It's just seeing him go and kill his old men. He, he revels in telling him that, yeah, well done. You've just killed all your own men. Exactly. Just You've just given it up. Look what you've done. And then he kills Solomon. But as Solomon's yeah. dying, he gets this, and I put this down as like almost like a final gift. It almost seemed like, you know, he gets this this knowledge, this prescience that, you know, people who have been gifted, you know, this by the emperor get stuff like this, you know? And this, he gets a vision of the future with billions of dying. Yeah. And he cries, not for himself, but he cries for that future. Like what he, he he gets to see what happens because of this betrayal. Yes. And what he what he was fighting against. At least he knew he was fighting he was on the right side fighting for something. And uh he dies there. Uh this is the first part where it's not Fulgrim ex- ordering someone's execution or something like that at the end of a cha- a part. No, we got we actually missed the we got the little bit of um, Horace telling Fulgrim that he's going to go and 
do the dirty work on oh, this that's right, that's right. I'm sorry. We, we were trying to keep on one place and we skipped yeah, it. So, no, yeah, let's fine. get back to that. So what happens there? You have it in front of you? Yeah, we got um, Horace having a go at him for returning in failure. No, that's um, right. <laughs> it's his his arrogance of, of telling Horace that, yeah, Ferris is going to turn. Horace is just like, do you understand what I'm trying to do here? Yeah, I've, oh. I've got I've got the Isfan sector set up, and you're telling me you can do this, and you failed, and you just possibly caused us a major issue. Yeah, and uh, Fulgrim's enjoying irritating Fulgrim. Oh come on! I thought you had it all planned. I mean, he is he's he's pushing his buttons even now, and realize he's flirting with death at this point. Even he thinks he's like, yeah. horse is so mad he might just kill him. Uh, and then he tells him, "Well, you're going to Istvan Five. And he goes, "This is a betrayal of what, what we, you know, why I joined the, the, this stuff." And then Horace turns around at him and gets real quiet, even angrier. And he looks over to him, and he's like, you know, "Betrayal! You better be really careful the words you choose, especially that word around me." You know, all the things we've been accused of. Now you're going to accuse me of that same thing we've accused the Emperor of. And uh, Fulgrim doesn't even care. He's just, he's, he's loving it. He's loving pushing Horace's buttons, even though he's a complete failure. And, uh, of course, then he sits there and he's angry. He goes, no. he goes listen, I'm sending you because I can't. Goes, Send Mortarian. Mortarian's got something to do. Send him. He- Perturabo, yeah. Perturabo's legion's been doing this for, for years and years. But no, it's got to send Fulgrim. No, but Fulgrim, it's, and he tells him, it's got to be you, Fulgrim. Who else can I trust? And this is what he tells me. That's the part he's I gave you my sword. I gave you the anathema. I gave you the weapon that almost killed me. So who do you think I trust most if I gave it? And he actually says to me, he goes, you're trying to use flattery to get me what you, to do what you want me to do. Yeah. And, he's, and Horace pretty much like, well, is it working? He's like, yeah, I'll do it. I mean, it's just like, oh, God. So there, that's where he's going off to set up and prepare Istvan Five for the big battle, and that's that is officially the end of part four. So we will take a break. We will come back, and when we do come back, um, the Last Phoenix, part five. Yep. I'm Dan Abbott, and you're listening to After Other Hello, and welcome back. Going into part five, the last Phoenix. Last Phoenix, chapter twenty. One. So, oh, twenty-one. You're right. <laughs> what the hell? I have my page flipped over. There we are. All right. So, 
Ferris Manis is in the Iron Forge, and the walls are all cracked. Like, he's been smashing stuff. Like, he's oh, not yeah. happy. Okay, that, that, that's a, a gentle way to put it, you know? Um, he's destroyed everything. He's just been raging and smashing stuff. Weapons and armor are broken. Uh, some look like they've been melted in fire. Uh, warp storms are keeping them from going to Terra. And he's 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 mad that he's being blocked by something as mundane as a warp storm from keeping him from his duty of informing the emperor. Yeah, because that's all they—they yeah. they just see them almost like weather. Exactly. At the moment, and uh, so now he finally gets word from Dorn, and he's yes. going to take uh, the Ferrum ahead of the rest of the fleet. To get Fulgrim and prove he's loyal. There's an issue here. If if Fulgrim thought he could switch, then other people are going to think he could switch. So, you know, um, he's got to go and prove that he's not. There's no traitorous side to him at all. So he yeah, got, he's, he's got his own. Yeah, he needs to prove it. Yeah, so it's not just a matter of I'm going to get you back, Fulgrim. Um. You know, you were my brother, and now some. You know, I have to be the one to put you down. He needs to be the one to put him down to prove to everybody that he's not a traitor. Because yeah, eventually, be seen to be exactly. The um, and then, uh, well, well, even before that, um, you get the, the the news has come in from the astropath about the uh, the Imperium at war, right. So, you know, war's broken out at the same point here. We've got um, you've got many imperial commanders declaring for Horus, um, neighboring systems attacking each other. Um, Mars is at war with itself. The Mechanicum on Mars. There's we know there's a war going on actually on Mars itself. Um, uh, alien attacks on human-held worlds as well. Um, whether that's by opportunity or design. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff know. going on. Talk about the beauty of paranoia, you know, to get this idea that, because I think it was, what was it? Um, it was a book of short stories. I think it was the 10th book in the series. Had a bunch of right. short stories from, like, sort of, uh, like, the bad guy's point of view. And you keep seeing this idea of, of sowing paranoia and fear and this. And you don't know if it's by design that these aliens are attacking or if it just happens to be happening at this time but it could be anything and nobody knows and it's just fostering this sense of fear yes definitely but it's all fine because there are seven legions being sent to take down the four traitor legions yeah dawn's not taking any chances he's going to send seven legions in <laughs> this is really you know i gotta tell you from a from my point of view not knowing who was where not knowing what was going on right that was just, I was just like, wait a minute, they got some, you know, how are they going to get out of this? Yeah, and I was, oh man. But let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Um, Ostian has finished his perfect statue of the emperor. Uh, in fact, it should have taken him over two years, but it didn't because he was so sick of everybody else on the ship that he hasn't left his studio in months. He says food brought to him. He has not left his studio in months. He just stayed there, eaten there, stayed away from everybody else. I have a problem with this. I just have a problem with this in general. 
Um, just the idea that he, I mean, granted, you know, maybe it's for your own protection. I mean, you're in a bad neighborhood, you stay home. You know what I'm saying? You try to stay yeah. out of trouble's way. But it's just something about this doesn't sit 100% right with me, I guess. You know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm nuts. I don't know. Well, it said at the end of the last chapter, you know, as soon as I, as soon as I can, I'm off. I'm yeah. out of here. I'm transferring out. But Walter Wiley's there. He can't do anything. He's a human remembrancer in a ship of thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, all these space beings everywhere. He has no power. He has nothing. There's nothing he can stand up and do. If he stands up, he's dead. So it's, you know, rock in a yeah. hard place. So he's just like, right, I'll just stay in my room until yep. I can get out. And he realizes as he finishes this thing that he's, he's like, I don't even know what's going on, you know? <laughs> um, but there is an interesting bit here because you get to see, you get another look into Ostian's, his personality, you know, this idea of another one of these great artists. And he's been sort of humble the whole time. Uh, it does say here... Leaving his studio filled him with trepidation and excitement, for with the unveiling of his statue, he would be able to once again bask in the adulation of admirers, something he normally detested, but which, at moments like these, he craved. No false modesty blinded Ostian to his talents, nay, his genius, in the moment following the completion of a piece of work. It would be in the days, weeks, and months to come that flaws only he could see would become apparent, and he would curse his useless hands and begin thinking how to improve on his next work. If an artist should ever feel he could no longer better himself, then what was the point of being an artist? Each work should be like unto a stepping stone that led to greater and greater heights of artistry, where a man could look back at his life's works and be satisfied that he'd made the most of his allotted span. So he's got a bit of that conceit there. He likes the praise. He normally doesn't like being out with people, but when he finishes work, he likes to hear how well he did. Um, and he, there's a bit of that Serena in him where he looks at it and says it's not good enough. You know, yeah. everyone's looking at it saying it's perfect, and he's finding these little tiny flaws, just like she was when he was telling her how, how good a good painter she was. But she's not happy with it, and she's you know, but he's like got a normal sense of control about himself too. It's like. You know, I look at it, he would curse his own hands for their, you know, for, but he's not going to, you know, yeah, harm he, he, himself. He stays within the boundaries of normality. Yeah. So it, I just thought it was a nice juxtaposition over some of the other people's. Definitely. But uh, all of a sudden, he's, he's preparing to get off there and suddenly who shows up but Fulgrim. And uh, Fulgrim's not happy. Uh, in fact, there's this credit here. You certainly captured him. And he turns around. Oh, I didn't hear you coming in here. And Fulgrim is just looking at it, and he's just. No, I remember him like this. That was many years ago, you know. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, it's just he's just talking about it, and Ostian knows something is wrong. And um, I mean, he's wearing grease paint and oil, and oiled up, and Fulgrim is just. Gone off the deep end, looking like a freak, and uh, and then Fulgrim looks at him, and he, the, the smile falls away. That you carve a statue of the emperor at a time like this shows either willful stupidity on your part or reprehensible ignorance, Ostian. And he's he's kind of right, you know. <laughs> he's locked yeah, himself yeah, away, and yeah, he's and that's it. He's terrified, and. Uh, 
and he says, you spoke. You don't deserve to speak to me. You told me my work was too perfect. Create a work such as this, perfect in every detail. You know, he's like, you told me that mine was too perfect. You know, he's, Fulgrim doesn't quite get it, and he's just so mad. And then uh, he wants, you know, he's like, I don't get it. I don't know why you're mad. And um, and then Fulgrim, like the emperor, you've been too enraptured by your own selfish desires to pay any mind to that which goes on around you. Remembers, remembrances vanished, friends betrayed. When all you once held dear is crumbling around you, what do you do? You abandon those closest to you and forsake them in the quest of something supposedly of higher purpose. He's, he doesn't even know what's going on. <laughs> like He's like, saying, what are you talking about even? It's just, this must be like the most horrible moment of a, of a normal human's life could possibly have. One of the Primarchs just yelling at you and you don't even yeah. know why. <laughs> and he's telling you that you're on the bad side exactly. and you just destroyed this and this massacre's occurred and, well. and uh and then he basically tells him we're we've turned against the emperor then okay. and he's like what and um and he tells him that his his thing of the emperor is not yet perfect and he's standing by the statue, and he doesn't know what's going on. And he suddenly hears this noise on the other side of the statue. And the Primarch's alien sword. So this is the Laren sword. Is it yeah, the Laren the, sword? Yeah, it's got the gold gold quillions. Yeah. And so, yeah. it comes right through the 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 it basically statue. basically he stabs a hole right through the statue of the Emperor and impales Ostian on it on the other side. Yeah. So... That's a pretty big sword, too. Yeah. There he is. He tried to scream, but he had blood full of his mouth, in his mouth. Blood's flowing everywhere. He's dead. The emperor's, you know, run through. And Fulgrim's like, okay, now it's perfect. Yeah, I love this scene. I thought this was actually one of the best scenes in the book. Um, You get an Ostian looks at Fulgrim like an artist. Yeah, kind of pulls him apart, and um, it's pretty well done. And it, we also get to see we get to see Ostian as he's a tool used by Graham McNeil, showing how the traitor Primarchs view the Emperor. There's a lot of little bits going on in this that tell a lot of little hints and stories and feelings, and sets up in one quite short scene a lot of stuff. And I think this is when Graham McNeil gets books right. Yeah. Um, I think this is why people love Graham McNeil so much because when he does little scenes like this, they just seem to work so well. Yep, yeah, very good much stuff. So. Um, so let's stay here, uh, Serena. Let's stay uh, on board the ship of the Remembrancers. She's having a complete psychotic breakdown. Um, she's having nightmares. She's not sleeping well. She spends her time either trying to create something or else having weird nightmares where she's luring people in and doing horrible things to them and doing all this stuff. Um, her hair is coming out. She's been pulling out her own hair. Um, she just looks and feels terrible and finally looks into one of the drums that she doesn't want to go near because she has, keeps having nightmares about the things she does. Yeah, she starts to think, actually, they're not nightmares. They're memories. Yeah. Which is really weird, because apparently she's not even remembering the horrible things she does. No, she's going somewhere else. Yeah, and so basically 
she realizes that whatever whatever her mind was doing to protect her from the truth of how sick she'd become just ended. Just gave up. And she can't handle it. She goes to, she, and she goes to run to Ostian for help. She doesn't know who else to go to. Yeah. And she's like, he can save me. And she goes in and finds him dead, impaled on the sword. And she runs up to him and doesn't know what else to do. Uh, and she basically goes over him and begs him to forgive her for all the stupid things she's done. And she sees it's dead. And she thinks she did it. Like, uh, uh, really, girl, how'd you stick a sword through that statue? But her mind is, so, I mean, she's, you know, so overwrought, so upset. She knows she's been killing all these people. And here's Ostian dead. And she just can't handle it. So she throws herself on the sword. Just basically, uh, you know, right onto Ostian and kills herself. I mean, for her, it's almost the best thing that he was dead. Oh, yeah. Because if he, if he wasn't, she would have gone through a cycle she was she wasn't getting out of where she was she yeah. was screwed no but she was with she was with, with him being dead that you know ca- caused her to take her life and it's like at least it's kind of ended yeah i mean yeah exactly in, in a sick way it's over it's better than it's over it. exactly yeah so last bit of this chapter is that uh eidolon is taking lucius down to fabius for upgrading eidolon hates Lucius. And I still think it's because of the stuff on murder that Lucius is one of the people who witnessed him getting dressed down by Torgadon. Yeah. Er, uh, Eidolon seems to have this issue. Um, and it reminds me, I've, I've read other other books with characters like this. And the one, I don't know if anyone else who, who you know is into sci-fi might have read it, but in the Ender's Game books, you know, they just had right. the Ender's Game movie, Ender's Shadow, there's uh, a shield who is this character um, who is uh, uh, he's just he's evil and he's bad and he's a sociopath and anybody who sees him at a moment of weakness or where they have power over him or where he could be hurt by them he's just he has to kill them they can't right. live he can't live knowing that this person has seen him at a bad moment and Elon seems that way like not that he'll go out and kill the other space marines but any marine who was with him at a time when he was having issues or not doing well you know the stories all change, and and anybody who could contradict that, he just seems to hate. Yeah, um, and he can't stand him. And like I said, it, it's it's Lucius who came to him and offered him. Listen, this is a chance to prove you can do good. I'm going to hand you the back door. I'm going to leave the back door open. Come on in. And um, so then they grab Lucius and they take him out. And so he's slowly warming to him, but he's going in for upgrading as well. And that's chapter 21. Yeah, well, there's... Um, Did I miss something? No, I think I'm talking rubbish. Uh, bear with me just one second. Sure. I've written something down. About Rylanor. Why have I written that down? He's in here somewhere. He's in this chapter. Well, I've written it down in this chapter. That, uh, uh, Demeter's dead. Ah, and uh, okay. And ancient Rylanor asked Eidolon, um, I don't know for sure about that. After the bombing, he took himself off into the depths of the presenter's palace. I never saw him again. So, well, you have potential here that Rylanor 
and a number of other people have gone to a place of safety and possibly survived that the second bombing oh okay right um whether there's anything there because it's talked about that he's protecting stuff something there's there's potential that they might not be dead but whether that means they can get off the planet or not who knows but that was you know it's kind of it's pointed out that he, he he's not a confirmed kill right okay yeah i got that right that's so just okay. to feed some conspiracies yeah, you never know who's alive who's and who's not. Gotcha. All right, let's roll into Chapter 22 here. Uh, you get the story of Istvan uh, and Father Istvan's lost children. Uh, the lost children tried to destroy and enslave everyone on Istvan 3. Uh, he stopped them, but he couldn't bring himself to kill his wayward children. So he banished them to Istvan 5. And that's the myth, is that someday the banished children will come back and try to wipe out Istvan 3 again. Uh, and whether it's real or myth, it just doesn't matter, because as in the shape of the War Masters Legions, the lost children had indeed returned. And um, so, yeah, the emperor and his children, uh, the emperor's children, and uh, Horus's legions come down, and they basically they are the end, you know, for this. Oh yeah, they get to Istvan Five, and there is this big tower there. And yep. the Mechanicum says it's from a race predating humanity by millions of years. I'm wondering what this is, if there's anything to that. You know, if, if, if I'm missing a, a... I don't know. Hard vitreous stone blocks the size of a land raider, which is massive. I, I, it could be anything. Yeah. Um, it's not particularly Necroni. It's not particularly Eldari. Uh, who knows? There's a lot of, lot of different races that have inhabited this galaxy. Yeah. Um, now, so they're, they're, the Mechanicum and, and the Emperor's children are, are making this place a bastion worthy of Horus. Yeah. A wall that stretched for yeah. nearly 20 kilometers and rose to heights of 30 meters in places. Build me yeah, an a, army A bulldozer as large as a Titan lander, oh, uh, which can scoop up hundreds of tons of earth in one go. This, this, this is, you know, this, again, you're showing 30K, uh, the scale of, that it was fought at. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's amazing. So Fulgrim and Julius are overseeing this. And now, in deference to the War Master, Fulgrim has dispensed with the powder and the paint. Yeah, <laughs> uh, becoming a warrior of utmost perfection. I'm wondering, he says he's doing it out of deference to the War Master. D- did Horace tell him, hey, cut the crap with the, with the Punchinello face here? Or- I think Fulgrim's just making sure that he does things. He's, he's not going to get this wrong. He's not going to waste time. Or I was just like wondering that. if he was just trying not to outshine the war master. I'm already pretty. I don't want to look better maybe, than him. Maybe. Maybe. You know, <laughs> it could be. But so, now Julius is annoyed. This is humiliating. And there's Marius. We all have our part to play. We all have. The, and Julius like, suck up. I mean, it's just the two of these guys. Yeah. You know? And, then, and with all their enhanced senses, it takes a lot. To stimulate, like their enha- senses have been so enhanced, they're so sensitive to all these stimulus that uh, the norm becomes background. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, you know what I thought of the Necrons when the Necrons got put. You know, you can live forever. We're going to stick you in these bodies, though, and suddenly they couldn't feel anything. Yeah, it just it reminded me of that in a little bit of a way. Like you know, 
Mm. Would that be enough to drive you crazy, though, if you lost all these senses? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. So, you Interesting. know. I, I just, that was just my, it just kind of crossed my mind, you know. If, I mean, they're, yes, they're constantly looking for a new sensation, a new stimulation. But I suppose if everything was dulled, you know, I mean, you talk about people's just their taste buds. Some people are super sensitive to tastes, you know. Yeah. And some people, like I'm certain my old man only has like three taste buds left, and he pours hot sauce on everything, or he's always putting on, you know, he's the guy who goes to Buffalo Wild Wings and orders the blazing wings, you know, the hottest thing, and it doesn't slow him down. He's like, you call this hot, you know, and I'm just like, really? Mm. <laughs> and it's, you know, but some people, you know what I'm saying? If, if, if you're not sensitive to stuff, you're desensitized, and you need more and more, and I'm, you know, I don't know, maybe it's enough to drive you nuts. I'm just philosophizing here, I guess. We'll move along. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this whole thing between Julius is mad. We're being punished here. And Fulgham says, maybe so, but we'll do the job the best job we can. Yeah, he's in serious mode. Yeah. He, well, he knows he's got to make up for Ferris as well. Right. And so that's the thing. Cause we're being punished. You know, Normally, Fulgham would never even admit to being punished because I would admit that he did something wrong. He's like, well, maybe it is. Maybe we are. Maybe we're not. But I'm going to make sure we do this job right. So, and then they're, they're reinforced by the uh, the troops from Isfahan Three. Yep. So on top of all that, you then get the troops, the army, the the Legio Mortis, um, and all the tanks and everything. It's just and these guys have been fighting other Astartes for months. Not only are they ready to fight other Astartes, not only do they know how to fight other Astartes, but there's going to be no the norm. there's going to be no hesitation. Whereas when these other guys get here. As ready as they are to stop their traitor brethren, there's still all that programming in their heads. You know, they haven't actually fought them yet. So there's a bit of an advantage to the traitor legions on that side. You know, that they're, they don't have any of that hesitation or that, uh, you know, that feeling of brotherhood to these guys anymore. So mm-hmm. that's that. Um, <laughs> so... We've got everything ready. We're just waiting them for the show up. Let's put on a play. <laughs> and tonight is the Maraviglia. With 9,000 people in attendance. That's, that, now that's on, now I knew that that, that area was huge. Because yeah. it's still La Fenice where all the Remembrancers used to hang out. 3,000 yeah. Astartes, 6,000 Remembrancers and crew. I mean, it was enormous and extravagant, and it's totally been done. Um, her new instruments are ready. She's invented new instruments to because yeah, to they, make specific sounds. And yep. Uh, above the stage, Serena's painting of Fulgrim is there in all of its stinky glory. Um, those who look upon it are struck dumb and robbed of thought. I love that. Is the demon still in it? I thought he was inside of Fulgrim's head. Is there a part of something still in the painting? Does it have some power? You know, I'm, I'm reading all of this. Uh, Fulgrim takes his seat in the Phoenician's nest, you know, his his own private box that they've mm. created. And then Bill Akinska comes on stage. This is great. Julius is really excited. Uh, Fulgrim starts crying and applauding just at Bill Akinska's outfit. <laughs> and... Uh, Julius is aroused by Bella Kinska, which is the first time he's ever been aroused by a woman's features before, because normally he just doesn't pay attention to that sort of thing. No, space marines tend to be above that. Yeah. 
And uh, now all of a sudden he's noticing. Uh, the music starts. People are enraptured, but a few people are rather disgusted. <laughs> what I love is that those people who leave, they're like, oh, they're disturbed. But they've already sat through and looked at everything going on. But finally, it's like, oh, that's a bit much. Well, and that's the <laughs> and thing. then they the, walk the, out. So they're, they're so, they're so um, you know, borne down on what's been going on. Everything else is normal, but, oh, that's a, that's a bit too far. Well, and the weird thing is, you see this place and how nasty and the artwork looks, and it's like, all right, well, these guys are a little tacky. But then the music starts, and it's obnoxious. <laughs> and it's just like, I mean, it's horrible. And the thing is, Evander Tobias, wasn't he the guy who ran the, 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 the library over there, whatever, the guy that they yeah, respected? Yeah, I think so, yeah. He, just, he's, he goes to lead people out, and he's attacked, and he's killed. The, people who want to leave, are everyone who is not enjoying the play is slaughtered by the people who are enjoying the play. And the people who enjoy the play, after killing them, just go back to watching the play like nothing happened, like they didn't just kill somebody. Um, there's a great part Julius forced himself to look away from the stage enthralled and terrified by what he was seeing and hearing what manner of being could hear music of such terrible power and retain his sanity man was not meant to listen to this the birthing cry of a beautiful and terrible god as it forced its way into existence and so you know you got this you know the the sounds of, and it, you know you wonder is if the, are these actually the sounds of, you know, Slanesh himself? Yeah, who, I mean, who knows? Through. Yeah, we 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 have no idea. This is well yeah. beyond anything we could comprehend. And it, it, it from here it just gets a little weird. Oh, um, it's major weird. Adelon uh, and Marius are just sitting there, open mouthed. Uh, their jaws are cracking and distending, like their mouths are stretching wider than they should. Um, and then Julius sees an age of darkness within them, which, you know, just like he starts to see things happening, like, you know, another little glimpse of what the future holds. Uh, the audience begins either fighting or something else that starts with an F. Um, basically, people start killing each other or having sex with each other just right there in the middle of the theater. Uh, even the Astartes just get yeah, overwhelmed it, with it this. Affects, it affects things. the humans first and the Astartes slightly afterwards. Yeah. It's slightly more um, kind of resistant to it. Yeah. Um, but not, not a huge amount. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the painting is squirming and tearing as the thing within is trying to get free Light starts pouring out of the instruments, and anybody who is touched by this physical representation of the music just goes bonkers. Absolutely mad. Um, the, 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 the players are playing so fast, you can see on their faces they're in pain. Like their hands and stuff are moving in ways that they've never moved, and they're in pain and they can't stop. It's like the red, the red the, what's that old, that old story, the, the, you know, the girl with the red slippers who couldn't stop dancing? Yeah. It's something like that. Um, Coraline, the same. Yeah, yeah, Coraline, the dancer, she's dead. Like her body has moved in such bizarre ways that her neck has snapped. She's dead, and she's still dancing. And there's cracking sounds as her bones are breaking and grinding. And she turns into a demonette of Slanesh right there in front of everybody. As does the rest of the chorus. 
And these demonettes, they, they gut Bella Kinska and the whole orchestra. Beautiful. Uh, it's just insane. And when the, when the orchestra gets killed, the music stops. And then Marius, with his big, new, dis, newly distended jaw, and these other ones run and grab the instruments because they're upset that it's stopped. But they pick them up not like to play the instrument. They pick them up like bolters. And the instrument gives off this huge and just starts ripping things up. Uh, Marius fires the first of these shots into the crowd and over a dozen mortal bodies crush and their heads just explode. And I'm just like, wow, wow. And, oh, yeah, look, it's the birth of the Noise Marines, which I thought was a cool way for them to be born. They were, the it was like the biggest... It was when kind of we knew Fulgrim was being written and or, or coming out. I was like, right, okay. On the face of it, in Warhammer Forty Thousand, before this, full uh, noise marines were space marines that played guitar with amplifiers on their back. And it's like in a in a game of toy soldiers, that's fine. In were a really, serious novel, were the models were actually essentially, yeah. They, they weren't the models you see now. Wow, that's kind of lame. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, but it was the, of course, kind of the, the late 80s, early 90s, but, slightly comical. Wasn't that also the time when Chaos Warriors were basically, or, or Chaos Space Marines, were basically just sort of like weird heavy metal guys too? They weren't like yeah, there Chaos was a heavy Evil. They were more like, it was moving it. it. I mean, it took a while to move away from that kind of thing. They started off just as all, Chaos was alternative rather than evil. It was just ah, okay. not not the straight and narrow. That's how chaos started off. Oh, so they were metal. Um, there was a lot of a lot of heavy rock influences. Gotcha. So yeah, they started off as basically musicians with major amplifiers, um, <laughs> and it was like, how are they going to do this? And of course, now you've got the newer models and things like that. So they've actually got weaponry that's sonic. It's really but cool. The way it it's explained really is well really handed. cool. How, yeah, the birth of the noise marines was ace. And then Fulgrim, like like Dracula. This all that reminded me of right here was like Dracula. My Emperor's Children, what sweet music they make. And I was just like, oh, yeah, just another weirdo with a bunch of blood-bound sociopaths to your side. So, And that's, that's how we end Chapter 22. <laughs> so let's get to Chapter 23. Yep. Uh, you got Ferris Manix, Ferris Manus, you got Korax from the Raven Guard, Vulcan of the Salamanders, all together. Um Salamanders and Raven Guard are already around Istvan 5, and the rest of the 57th is following, uh, as are the Word Bearers, the Night Lords, the Iron Warriors, and the Alpha Legion. Uh, Ferris Manus is impatient. He does not want to wait. But everybody else is like, no, we got to wait, we got to wait. They finally get the signal that the Word Bearers, Night Lords, Iron Warriors, and Alpha Legion are only a few hours back. And so... I mean, they've waited eight days. They've been sitting around eight days and watching these guys build their reinforcements. And Ferris Manus has no more patience. They're going to be here in a few hours. We can start. And they start this orbital bombardment. And my question is, why do they stop the orbital bombardment? Because um, they were never going to... Well, as soon as they start to go in, it's like World War Two, isn't it? It's yeah, you, know, you, you bombard, you bombard, you bombard, and then as soon as you start your, your assault, foot assault, don't and they had to they had to do that because they weren't breaching the defenses fully and they have to go in and kill them all that. Don't they have like the power to like just crack a planet in half at this point, I thought. I mean, don't 
I mean, no, not really. Okay. Um, if they want to destroy a world, they use the virus. They use the virus bomb. And yeah, the virus you know, bomb obviously isn't going to work uh, fully. Yeah, the actual ability to, to a weapon that could destroy a planet, actually physically destroy it, is, is, would be massive. Okay. Um, you For don't see many of them. I know the Exterminatus, and that's 40K. They'll come around and certain planets just have to be destroyed, where they crack it to its core. Yeah, and, and you get to um, uh, Abaddon's uh, flagship is Planet Killer, which can do right. it. But that's a, a whole ship that's okay. dedicated around, much like a Death Star, okay. dedicated around one big laser weapon kind of thing. <laughs> okay, I got you. All right, so they do the orbital bombardment, and then Ferris Manus is in a drop pod with Santar and his Morlocks. Um. And they land there, and the loyalist Stardes, the loyalists are attacking. And Ferris Manus is carving people up. Uh, they keep describing it as bending the back of the traitor's line. The, it just keeps getting bent and pushed back and pushed back. Um, and but all of the all of the um, Primarchs who are down there: Korax, Vulcan, Angron, yeah. Mortarian. They're all just killing things left and right. Yeah, everywhere they are, they're winning the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, they call Angron the Red Angel. Yeah. Is that is that a name for him that I didn't hadn't heard before? Didn't know about. He's the Red Angel. Is he, is he written that as in here in this bit? Is he? He was described in this bit as a Red Angel, and I was just I'm like, to remember. for some yeah, reason, I just um, always think Sanguinius, but I guess he was dressed in gold. So. I, I think of Blood Angels. When I hear Red Angel, I was thinking Blood Angels. Yeah, so. it, it's you know, it's his rage. Okay, I got you. Um, and they're all angels in a way, in a weird way, you know, the angels of death and all that. Uh-huh, okay. So. Uh, front and center in the fighting are the Emperor's children, and that was the passage that I had read. They're just, they're enjoying themselves. They're loving it. In fact, Julius is just, I mean, this he's finally getting some sensation through. I mean, he kills the one guy and, like, pulls the head out of the helmet and gives it a kiss and throws it up in the air and watches all the bullet, the gunfire going above his head as it just shreds this skull into pieces. It's like, oh, really? It's a, you know, they, they're wearing skin. They've got these crazy weapons. Um, and they're literally dancing through the battle, killing people and singing. I mean, it's just... You know, if Centaur finally finds Julius, and he's like, I'm going to pay you back for what you did. And he actually wounds Julius, and Julius loves it. He's like, oh, God, yeah. that hurt. That was so good. It's like... <laughs> All kinds of wrong. <laughs> uh, he actually thanks Centaur for the wound as he finally kills him. Yeah, it's giving him a new sensation. Yeah, something. thank you for something new. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, what is wrong with you people? Uh, so after all this bloodshed, all this stuff is going on, um, you start to see the other legions landing. The word bears, the iron warriors, the night lords, they start landing, and as soon as they hit ground, they're going to start, you know, they're starting to build up their, you know, like, uh, you know, securing the a drop fortifications, zone. yeah, setting a foothold, yeah. And everyone's pulling back. Even Angron's pulling back. Yeah, the, the Chaos Troops are pulling back, kind of trying to make it look like it's a little bit disordered. Right, they're um, pulling, and then Korax yeah. and, and Vulcan are like, "Come on, let's let's regroup. We've got our reinforcements here. Let's let them take the brunt, and we'll, we'll have another go at them." And of course, but, Ferris Man is like, "You can do that, but I'm looking." He's chasing them down. Yeah, I, I just think that the, I, I have a problem with picturing Angron running away or retreating from anything. I mean, does yeah, that, am I the only one who gets that? I mean, as soon as Angron's retreating, I'm thinking, really, like. 
but there's something, you know, and I mean, granted, I'm sitting out here on my couch reading a book. I'm not in the middle of a battle. I see Angron retreating. Something tells me that something wrong is going on. Like, that's, you know, and not necessarily yeah. with their battle. Like, you think Angron would just we, get more we pissed? See, we see Angron in a couple of states later on where his judgment in battle is not necessarily the best because of because of the butcher's nails and all that. Exactly. So. So, but, but then Ferris is not in the right frame of mind either. He's got his eyes set on Fulgrim. Right. Now, Chapter 24, the Warhawks and the Stormbirds are all along the sides of this. What is it? The Ural, uh, what is that? There's one bit. Before we go into okay. Chapter 4, I okay. love the um, little Horus. Was, oh, yeah, it's yeah. Still, it's still not completely sold on, on, on what's going on. I don't think he's ever, does he ever actually get sold on it? Like, no, he's, you know, he's still like, oh, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. Um, which I thought was really quite cool. Yeah, he's like sad. It's just, there's, you know, Abaddon's down there killing and doing his thing. And the, the way they describe Little Horse, you're right, is so great because it's like he still knows it's wrong. It's like I followed Horus. I will always follow Horus. I've sworn my allegiance to Horus. This is wrong. And I think that's a great thing that you keep po- popping him in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. He's like the worst example, though. He really is. The other guys, you know, whether you're just stupid and following blindly or you're violent and you just want to, you know, you're in for the pleasure of the kill or you've been sold on the idea that the Emperor's abandoned you, you've got a little Horus who doesn't buy any of it. No, he just gave into the pressure. Yeah. He gave into yeah. the peer pressure. And he is like the, the, the idea that they've said all the time, when good men don't stand up and try to stop this stuff early... This is what happens. And they could have. He could have gone three against one. He could have stood with Loken and Torgadon and, 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 and made a stand. But, well, no, it's Horus, and I have to go with Horus. And it's just like, I, I don't like it, but I have to do it. Yeah. I follow orders. It's, oh, man. <laughs> All right. So, chapter 24. Um, they're in the, the, what is it? They're in like that ravine or de- what is that called? The Ural? The Ergo uh, uh, Depression. Yeah. Yeah. And so the four it's legions... massive as well. The Ergo Depression is a huge area. Yeah, I mean, this is like, you know, the Grand Canyon is nothing compared to this. No, you've it's, got hundreds of thousands of space marines down there, you know, bordering right. on a million plus everything else. So Horus is built into this fortification, and they're all in the middle of this huge canyon, valley, whatever it is, all fighting down there. The, uh, the four legions land, and they're on all on either, two on either side. And they start, uh, they've got the traitors flanked. The traitors are retreating through it. And they're not attacking them because instead of attacking, they're building, you know, they're, they're securing their, their, their area, getting yeah. ready. We have time. We've got them on the run. Uh, so they're building up. Um, Ferris Manus is like, let's go for the kill. And like you said, they're like, not. Nah, we got to back off. And uh, so but he's Fer- still, all this time, he's still thinking about tactically as well. He's still in this fight. He's going for Fulgrim, but he's still, still aware enough of what's going on. Uh huh. He's watching everything. You know, he's yeah. He's fooled, but yeah. he's he's trying to keep an idea of the whole battle. It's like that's pretty awesome. And I love this. A couple of hundred meters away, so a half a kilometer or whatever, Fulgrim stands up on a hill all by himself and puts his arms out in this jet. Like I'm right here. Come get it. <laughs> and he just yeah. taunts him. He just I'm right here. See, I know you're looking for me. Here I am. What are you gonna do? And <laughs> Fulgrim knows that's going to get him, and that's it. 
He's got Ferris Manus. No one's talking him into regrouping now. No one's talking him into anything. <laughs> Corex and Vulcan are desperately, come on, regroup. Come come back, come back. No, let's charge. He's like, no, come back. We'll yeah. hit him hard. There's seven of us. They won't be able to stand. Uh, well, it turns out whatever he chose, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, no. <laughs> so then uh, he gets over there, and Fulgrim's like, ah, you rebuilt the sword. Only to see you dead by a weapon forged by my hands. And then he pulls the Warhammer out and he goes, okay, I'll do the same thing. Um, and then it's just like it gets, this conversation they have. It's so sad. Fulgrim is, um, even now, He's before he actually gets to the kill, oh, it's fitting that we're fighting with the two weapons we made each other. You know, why is that fitting? Like, why are you even fighting? He's he's turning this into some epic, and it is. It's an epic battle at the end of a book, but it shouldn't be an epic battle at the end of a book for the guys fighting in it. You know what I'm saying? It's it's not for Ferris. It's not. And that's it. For, 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 for Ferris, it isn't. Ferris is just like, I'm just going to kill you. Yeah. You know, if I could just put a sword through you right now, we'd do it. That'd be it. Yeah. I, no, I, there's no flash in here. I've been waiting for this ever since you came to me with betrayal in your heart. For months I've dreamt of this. Only one of us will walk away from this. You know it. I know it. You betrayed the emperor and you betrayed me. I came to you because of our friendship, not despite it. And he's just like, he's still trying to talk him into it. Um. You know, and it's but just not—he's not because not, if Fulgrim shook his head, I'm not offering you a second chance. It's already too late. Oh, you're right. You're he's right. Just—he's just gloating. No, that's right. It's just the head, just making a show. Right. I offered you a chance, and you threw it back at me. He's like, "That's it." So that's right. I'm not offering you a chance. That's right. And, it's and it's, he's just there to then, you know, right at the end of that little bit, you know, turn around, look at look at the trap, look, look what's going to happen. Yeah, and that's the best part is that when his sister's like, "Don't you? What are you laughing at, Fulgrim? You're a dead man. You've lost. Don't you get it?" And Fulgrim can't stop laughing. My brother, how naive you are! Do you really think Horus would be foolish enough to trap himself like this? Look to the north, and you'll see it's you who are undone. And this is where I'm like, "What?" So you got two guys on one side, two legions on the other side. You know, Korax goes to one side, Vulcan goes to the other side. As they get up closer, they're like, how come they ain't opening the doors? No, and, and how come they're, like, lying in formation? Yeah, what's going um, on? Yeah. And as they get up close, and they're like, hey, open the doors. The guys are looking, guys, what's going on? <laughs> they just, and this is where massacre, <laughs> you know, the, the massacre portion of the Istvan Five comes in because you got two full, ready legions not going in to go take out the traitors they are the traitors yes dude talk about playing the long game and i wasn't even thinking about this horus must have been doing this for a while making sure to place the legions in just the right spot we've got them they're on our side we, they're corrupted said it, we, we had it in um second or end of the second book i think you know he's he's kind of said all right well, i'll deal with the ultramarines um i'm gonna send the blood angels off um over there um and then in this book you know fulgrim's asked oh why can't perturabo do it it's like perturabo has other jobs to do yep um you know you've seen little seeds of it but not too much is given away right and it's just it's i mean it's brilliant it really is that you realize wow he had this all planned out and and the funny thing he's the war master he's moving all the pieces where he wants him and you think when everybody finds out that he's gone traitor they they can't even conceive 
that he's gone trainer and that he's that he's got this that he's really got this game planned out. Like no. nobody's ready for this. No and so they just grab the legions that are closest. Who can get there? We can get there. Go. Like nobody's wondering, well, geez, he's the one who put these guys here and those guys are way away there. If I were a trader and planning it, I would take the people that I couldn't trust and put them far away. You know, I mean, but, yeah, absolutely. But the, uh, and on, but on the side of um, Dawn, who's who's kind of automatically taken the head of this, right? Um, it's un- inconceivable that one that Horus has turned, let alone the four that have turned on his firm three, right? To have three more turned is just—he's not even going to think about that. Oh right, it's right. Like having four people, having four Primarchs turned is beyond his belief as it is. Well, that's right. It's eight, isn't it? It's the Sons uh, of Horus. The... Yeah, you've got the Sons of Horus, the Emperor's Children, the Death Guard, and the World Eaters who are on right. Isfahan Three. And then you got and then the... following up with the Alpha Legion, the uh, Iron Warriors, um, Night Lords, and uh, Word Bearers. Word Bearers. That's the one. Yes, <laughs> I forgot about them earlier when I was writing these down as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so there, there are your eight. Traitor legions there now facing off against three, right? Three legions, uh, and Korax and Vulcan. Like nobody's taking chances with the Primarch either. Two mushroom clouds go off next Ooh, yeah. to these guys. Like they yeah. nuke them. They're just like no. Yeah. Well, it's, it's Primarch. We've already seen yeah. what they can yeah. they can handle. And the the traitors that were retreating now turn back on the Iron Hands. Yeah, the classic Mongol tactic of retreating and leading uh-huh. the enemy on. Now, Fulgrim and, and Ferris Manus go at each other. They're denting and rending their armor. Fulgrim gets a ha- uh, Ferris Manus gets a hammer to the skull, uh, which makes him dizzy. Well, you know, you'd expect that. He slashes Fulgrim's stomach open. And Fulgrim is still calling him his brother and his friend. Uh, Ferris Manus is about to kill Fulgrim. Fulgrim, you know, is, and, he's, and he's losing with, with this war hammer. And then he grabs that lair and sword. And he's blocking with this sword, but he's still losing. And then that stone glows, the one that made the 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 Eldar. Yeah. The stone glows, and Fulgrim becomes more powerful. And he realizes he's not in control of himself anymore. Like, he doesn't want to do it, and the sword's telling him to do it. And and basically, he doesn't even want, and he does. It seems like the sword actually chops his head off instead of... Fulgrim. I mean, Fulgrim, yeah, he sees himself and says, this is not right. Well, he, 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 he gets the point. He's, you know, he's, he drew the sword when he screamed, you know, that no, this is not right. And the, the sword's screaming at him, and he's got Fulgrim there, ready to kill him. And that's where he has his moment of clarity. Oh. Of, um, he recognized how hard he had fallen. He knew that he had come too far to stop. Uh, the realization, coupled with the knowledge that everything he had striven for had been a lie. Um, yeah, and that's it. It just gives it in. Well, then. when he says this isn't right, that's when he's about to die. That's the, when he's about to die. The blade, and the he's sword. Like, no, no, wait! Yeah. I can't lose. And that's Powell when the, the the sword yeah gives him the strength to fight. Yeah, and then he that's kills his, him. It, yeah, and then right yeah, so right at the end there, he's, he he knows that oh, it's too late for me, and just kind of allows allows Ferris to die in a well, weird way. Yeah, though. Well, yeah, he 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 can't do it himself, but he's still moving, and he and the sword cuts him, and then. He he. Th- that's the point. Once he kills Ferris Manus, he he knows he's gone. Remember, he said you won't know when you've gone too far until you've done it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and he actually and he becomes suicidal. He's going to kill himself. 
and yeah. still the sword's talking to him. Dude, you're not going to kill you. Get out of here. You're not going to kill yourself. What are you going to kill yourself for? And he's like, I can't say. He goes, listen. And he, and he can't. Fulgrim cannot bring himself to kill himself. So then the voice in his head says, I can do something for you. I can bring you that sweet oblivion you're looking for. And once again, Fulgrim trusts him, thinking, oh, you'll just kill me and be done with it. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it, yeah. It's just, again, it's desperation that the sword's built him up. Because initially, the start of the conversation is, you know, what have I done? What have I done? What you needed to do? And, you know, he's dead. Yeah, he is dead. You struck down your own brother. Um, all, and all he ever did was honor you. So he, the, the demon drags Fulgrim to that point and then offers him that way out. And it's like oblivion, oblivion. And Fulgrim's just so blind with what, what he's done. He accepts that he it. Never, he never stops to think that oblivion might not mean what he thinks it will mean. Yeah. And so the demon takes over Fulgrim. And that's how this chapter ends. Ugh. And it, you know what's great is that the demon has lied to him this whole time. Ferris hates you. Ferris is showing you up. And when he finally kills him, what have I done? Yeah, what have you done? Dude, he was nothing yeah. but good to you. It's like, oh, rubbing salt. I mean, the demon is just so, I mean, he's a demon. What do you expect? But the, <laughs> the, the salt rubbing in the wound here is just just beautiful. It really is. It's just yeah. perfect. And then we roll into the final chapter of the book. The Raven Guard and the Salamanders are toast. At this point, they're fighting back everything they can, but I mean, it was the perfect ambush, right? Uh, oh yeah, Iron Hands are done. Uh, nobody really knows what happened to Ferris Manus right now. His, you know, um, Angron and Mortarian or Mortarian are running around slaughtering everyone. Uh, Marius is killing people. Um, Julius is defiling the dead uh, that Marius leaves behind. He's not even killing anymore. He's just following behind Marius, and where is it? Let's see. Oh, I think this is the part. Nope, here we go. If the noise of battle had been incredible before, it was deafening now. No voices heard that were not screams of pain or hate. Individual sounds were lost amid the constant roar of gunfire and rumbling explosions, melding into one long, immense howl of murder. What had become as a battle had become a massacre. Each pocket of loyalist resistance gunned down with overwhelming superiority of fire before the shredded survivors were hacked apart with bloody chain swords. Uh, it's just, boy, this is getting this this is getting really just nutty here. Um, <laughs> and then finally, who walks out in the field but Horus, Abaddon, and Little Horus? And uh, Oh th yeah, this is uh, this is this is just really they're they're finally coming out and doing the last bit. Um, some of the Raven Guard managed to break out with Korax's body. Korax is dead. Am I correct? As far as we know, yeah, yeah. I mean, but that, that that's they they got they escaped with his body. Some of the Salamanders escape, but nobody knows where Vulcan is. No, um, yeah, we we know that there were some. Uh, elements that that got off planet. Um, there's a lot of yeah. No one's not no one's sure what's happened to Corax. Although yeah, he's believed to be dead, taken off planet. Um, no one's seen um, Vulcan since the big explosion, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and of course, Ferris is there. So you know, that's three legions. There's three Primarchs probably out of the game. Um, and three legions taken almost out of effectiveness of, of any sort of effectiveness in one fell swoop. Yeah, and then um, 
they just pile up the bodies and start burning them. Um, it's pretty much over. Uh, L- Lucius is there uh, watching the blizzard of ash fall like snow from the skies and stuck out his tongue to taste the greasy ashen tang of the dead. <laughs> Ew. You know what? We just got to throw in a little bit of grossness right there before we, f- before we finish this off. Um, the Mournival and Horus are sitting there watching the fires burn. Um, and then what else? Horus gives a little speech. Uh, yeah, page four ninety eight. If you're in the, if you're on the, uh, yeah, it does his little victory speech, but it's lead on to the next bit. Yeah, we've achieved much, but there's more to do. We're so good. We're going to Terra. Make Emperor. no mistake, and it will be ours, my brothers. Almost I, uh, the same. Yeah. Not same make no mistake. Every... It will be yeah. ours. But make, make no mistake, uh, and it will be ours. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's it little, it's, the, it, once again, going back to the little things like that, that it's that statement that the emperor made to Horus is one of the things that weighed on him so badly it cracked him. Yeah. And he turns around and does the exact same thing. His it, it's not only is he doing the same thing that his father did, but he's I mean, he's ra- railing against the emperor and then doing the exact same thing. Yeah, a, yeah. He's following in the footsteps, just in a slightly warped way. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, uh, you know, there's there's definitely some irony and, and some, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, just you know, this. I'm I can't think of the word I'm looking for. No, it's not just irony. There's there's some real, uh, you know, it's a do as I say, not as I do yeah. sort of thing. I guess. Yeah. Um. So now here's the interesting part in this. I don't think. I totally understood. I mean, I understood most of it until the very end. Fulgrim comes to see Horus. Horus, yeah. Uh, and you want a private audience. What's so important that you can't tell me in front of my brothers? And he brings him Ferris Manus's head in a box, which Horus did say to him, and what if I told you to bring me Ferris Manus's head? Yeah. I'm so... You, Horace is kind of grossed out by it. It's like he knew that he killed him, but there's a there's a weird. He has just a kind of a weird reaction. He's sort of disgusted well, by it. Well, Horace Horace is not really affected by chaos at this point. Horace is a um, a renegade, renegade rather than a heretic. Okay, okay. So you're you still got Horace hasn't changed much. Beyond the unleashing of, you know, his viewpoints changed, but he still thinks he's in the right. Um, and yeah, there are changes going on, but he he still thinks he's fighting this war for all the right reasons. Blah 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 blah. You know, Fulgrim's degenerated as a person. Right. So the actual, the act of starting a war, and then the act of seeing one of your, oh, you've only got seventeen other brothers. Yeah, and actually seeing one of their heads dropped in front of you with, with by the way, the eyeballs plucked out, the sockets raw and yeah. bloody, the jaw hanging open, and bits of bone sticking out through the skin where his head was caved in. With and the, yeah, I mean it's a, it's a, yeah, uh, the, it's, it's a grim, see, it's a grim, yeah, flesh violated so brutally, it's re- repugnant to Horus. Um, no Primarchs, you know, Primarchs have been hurt before. But no Primarchs been dead. You know, Primarchs don't die. 
for 200 years of Great Crusade, these Primarchs have been at the front taking on whatever. Uh-huh. So maybe there's that element to it. Maybe Horace is kind of like, oh, you know, oh, right. we can die. You know, what if this goes wrong? Right, exactly. Um, and then Horace realizes there's something just weird with Fulgrim, how he just flips the head over to him on the floor. Why would And he even asks him, why, why would you do this in private? Like, it's not like you no. to parade around your successes in private. And... Uh, Fulgrim starts laughing. Oop, there, I, I'm sorry, I clicked out there. That was my mic. Um, <laughs> Fulgrim just starts laughing at him, like just he's like, and he's like, "Okay, explain yourself." And he looks at him and says, "I'm not Fulgrim." And he looks into his eyes and realizes there's something wrong with him. And it's interesting because he pledges his allegiance to Fulgrim. I mean, to Horace. Fulgrim to Horace, yeah. Pledges, you know, and you know, I'd rather not let anybody know about this. And, and Horace is like, yeah, me neither. So we'll mm. all just keep this quiet, um, which is really interesting. Uh, let's see. I mean, you get, you get the one nice little bit. Um, you know, you've been steering Fulgrim's course of action. It's like, of course. <laughs> you know, I, I do. So you're the reason that that Fulgrim joined me. Yeah, you're not that good an orator. <laughs> yeah, you're not that good at <laughs> <laughs> So he kind of explains maybe a little bit of what's going on before. Well, and that would maybe explain why, another reason why Fulgrim was so easily swayed. Because, yeah. I, mean, it, uh, I mean, it's everybody else, they, I mean, look what they had to do to Horace to get him to go along with it. You know, they had to yeah. put Horace at death's door. Um, even, I mean, the word, the word bearers, I mean, look at, the nonsense they went through. I mean, obviously, we haven't gotten to that book yet. But when yeah. you when you see all the first when you read First Heretic, you're like, dang. Um, mm. So they get to this. You know, Fulgrim was weak. I finished what he did. I've got him locked away in my no, no. I, I love that he's. You know, he, he tells him that I'm just. You know, it, it, even Fulgrim's like, listen, quit torturing my brother. Let him. He's like, oh no, I'm, I'm I'm having too much fun with him to let him die. And uh, it's just, and then Horace is like, "Well, okay, yeah." You know, there's a little bit of Horace, you know, the little bit of the honor. It's like, no, he's my brother. I'm going to free him. Yeah. And then it's like, well, no. And then you can almost, you know, Horace has, has been through this. He's been trying to weigh up how powerful this creature is. You see, again, Horace knows nothing about the warp creatures. Nope. Um, he knows nothing about the capabilities. He's looking at this guy going, yeah, and, and, and the, the demon things even said, yeah, I might be able to kill you. You might be able to kill me. Who knows? Right. So, you know, you're dealing with this power. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, yeah, and, and Horace I, even tells himself, I'm going to free Fulgrim. I don't know how, yeah, yeah. but I'm not going to let this happen to my brother. So, uh, he's, and, and you've got all that going on, and you, you've got the realization of Horace, of like, hold on, these things have got... We, you know, I knew these things had an ulterior motive, um, but now that's become much more prevalent. And what are they up to? I'm not quite in as much control as I thought I was. So there's all those little things now that have just started to enter this thing. Everything's right. not rosy on the traitor side. <laughs> now, um, then you get a couple of pages of these guys go here, these guys go there, everybody's getting ready to leave. Then Malaghurst brings... A message to Horace, and he goes from who? He says from Magnus. Yes. Now this one 
we don't know what this message is about, do we? I mean, I, I mean, I've, I'm on book what, like twenty, and I still don't remember what the. I don't remember this being revealed no, yet. Nothing. No. Okay. So this, in fact, this could be after, because we all know that Russ went to go get him. Um, it is. Yes, we know that that was being prosecuted before Isfan. Right. Three. Yeah. So, so this message comes the after time. the battle and after Magnus is wherever Magnus is. Uh, after what's happened, yeah. Right. Which I, which I think most people who listen know, but we're, we're, we're trying, not talk about. trying not to spoiler it. So, okay. Now, the last three pages is where I'm confused. Well, I mean, just before that, you've got, you've got a real setting up, like, nice little piece here. You've got the Alpha Legion um, singled out for a vital mission. Um one upon which the success of the entire venture could depend, um, following the, the misdirection of Lehman Russ, is Space Wolf. So there's a little hint that maybe the Alpha Legion have have got some secret bits on there. Night Haunter's being sent off to the Eastern Fringes um, to do his terror thing. Right. Um, that that comes up very very quickly. He's creepy. He's just, I was listening oh, uh, to that oh. independent characters thing where they were reading about the different Primarchs. Yes. Night Haunter's scary as hell. <laughs> Um, yeah, Night Night Horton's Night Horton's background. Um, not to give anything really away. I mean, it's in it's in the thing. He, he was he was uh, found. He he landed on a planet of that was ruled by criminal class. Um, and even as a young boy, as he was growing up in the shadows, he stayed out of it. He started to see these injustices um, and started to deal with them on a very personal basis. Yeah, and that carried on. So he basically became an evil Batman. Yeah. Hunting um, the and hunters and uh, eating brilliant. them and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, just but, like crazy. I mean, well, he had to. He had to eat. Well, yeah. You know, he was he was eating stuff. But um, but yeah, Night Haunter's a very very creepy creepy guy. No, no, you've got a nice little setting up there with a whole lot. You know, there's a little bit um, Perturabo of the Iron Warriors and Dawn have always had a bit of enmity. So there's maybe hints of what's to come there. Right. Now, yeah. you, you going back to the the uh, massacre book from yep. uh, Forge World. You, have, you flipped through it, right? Um, no. Oh, you really haven't had a chance to yet? Uh, not Massacre, no. Okay, I was told that the Alpha Legion explanation page is like just blank. And I was just it's checking to see if that, information, uh, is it? Yeah, I was checking to see if that was a joke or if that was for real, because I don't have the book. So. I don't know. I'm pretty sure there'll be a story. <laughs> I, think, I think it's that the joke is... Um, yeah, here's all the information on the Alpha Legion. There is no information on the Alpha Legion. That's <laughs> because that's the whole point of the Alpha Legion. No one knows anything about them. Was that the, was that the intention when they were formed? Was that, were they like the Emperor's Spy Legion? Or I mean, I go right enough topic here, but no one really knows. Um, probably okay. That, that aspect of misdirection. I mean, their whole way of war is misdirection. Right. Uh, they they will land on a planet. Um, you know before. The enemy even know there are ships there, and they'll 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 as I say they'll, they'll misdirect, they'll they'll make sure things aren't working, they'll set troops against each other, things like that. That is the nature of their stealth, they're all that kind of thing. And that's the Alpha Legion's okay shtick. All right, so then okay, then we get to the last couple of pages, and they go back to La La Fenice or La Fenis. Um, the demon is walking through the wreckage of the performance hall. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's blood and awful all over the ground um you know slanesh's power just ran through this place and just ransacked it and there's nobody alive still in here it's just and he's 
yeah. he's humming the Maravilia or yeah. Maravilia or whatever yeah. to himself as he walks along. Yeah. Uh, he held the sword up to his face and laughed as it saw the tortured soul of Fulgrim behind its eyes. Uh, the demon could hear his cries in the skull. Only the swordsman Lucius had to appear to realize something was amiss, but even he said nothing. Um, like, nobody seems to know it's a demon. So you go through this, and then he goes to the front of the stage and looks at the giant portrait. Um, a golden... Uh, let's see. A golden... A glorious golden frame held the canvas trapped within its embrace, and the demon smiled as it took in the wondrous perfection of the painting, where before the image had been a garish riot of colors with a terrible aspect that horrified those mortals who dared to look upon it. It was now a thing of beauty. Clad in its wondrous armor of purple and gold, Fulgrim was portrayed before the great gates of the Heliopolis, the flaming wings of a great phoenix sweeping up behind him. The firelight of the legendary bird shone upon his armor, and each polished plate seeming to shimmer with the heat of the fire, his hair a cascade of gold. And I'm just going to go through these last little bit here, because I do have a question. So then, uh, the Primarch of the Emperor's Children was lovingly portrayed in perfect detail. Every nuance of his grandeur and the life that had made Fulgrim such a vision of beauty captured in the exquisite brushwork. The demon knew that no finer figure of a warrior had ever existed or ever would again. And to even glimpse such a flawless example of the painter's art was to know what wonder still existed in the galaxy. The painted Fulgrim stared down upon the ruin of the theater and the monster that had claimed his mortal shell. The demon smiled as it saw the horror within his eyes, a horror that had not been rendered by any skill of the painter. Perfect, exquisite agony burned in the portrait's gaze, and as the demon sheathed the anathema and bowed to the silent stage, the dark pools of its painted eyes seemed to follow its every movement. The demon turned from the portrait and made its way from the theater as the last of the footlights guttered and died leaving the last phoenix forever shrouded in darkness. Now that's how the book ends. So the painting has changed to a beautiful painting of Fulgrim. Am I, has it? Is that what he's saying? or is Well, it, that's point of view of a demon or, and Fulgrim slash Fulgrim. Because that doesn't sound anything like the, the portrait no, of Fulgrim. No, but, but when Fulgrim looked upon the picture, he said, isn't it magnificent? Isn't it beautiful? Blah, 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 blah. Okay. So you've, you've, I think you can only assume that that's point of view of Fulgrim slash demon. And yes, although that you know, feces and everything that was involved in it is beautiful and glorious. And, and Fulgrim is looking at it. Now, it says that Fulgrim's looking at it. It looks like he's following him with the eyes. He looks horrified. Is part of Fulgrim, I mean, he's still got Fulgrim trapped inside him, or did he just push Fulgrim into the painting to keep well, him there for now? I mean, I'm kidding. We can only go on what we've got. Earlier on, Fulgrim was talking to the painting as if the painting was a second person. Uh-huh. Um, and at that point, Fulgrim was supposedly still in his own body, because we know that that only changed on this fan five. So you would have to presume that now... If the demon can go from being in a painting to taking over the body, then logic dictates that the other way around could occur as well. So he can push Fulgrim out there, keep him... I mean, yeah, yeah. It, I think you have to assume that. Um, That's just that, that can That that can happen. So yeah. we're left at the end here, you know, and it seems to suggest that, yes, Fulgrim's trapped in the painting, much like the story. And, um, and it's like a reverse... It's like a reverse portrait of Dorian Gray. Exactly. It started off with this monstrous thing, and then it, instead of showing what Fulgrim is, this is what Fulgrim yeah. should have been. 
This yeah. is you know, it's just I loved it. I just wasn't certain what the heck was going on, and just I mean, to leave. Yeah, I mean, this, this is. I mean, that's that's my logical conclusion to what has occurred. Um, you know, they. If we ever get Graham McNeil in on an interview, I want to ask him about this. Don't let me forget. Um, yeah, whether he will answer you or not is a very different matter. Okay, he may just not tell me, but don't let me uh, forget to at least ask. Okay, because <laughs> there's stuff that I'm not saying. Um, oh, is there spoilers? Am I missing? Are they coming up yeah, in later uh, books? Um, I'm not as far as you. No, it's not books. <laughs> it's it's the short stories. Okay. Um, a lot of the a lot of the short stories and, and, and novellas and things like that and the, the e-shorts e as well, there's a lot of them available. Uh -huh. um, a lot of those deal with things that aren't necessarily... Um, they're stories that, that that you could get by without right. because maybe they're slightly covered in a couple of lines in a book or something like that. So there's there's things like that and there are stories that deal with Fulgrim as kind of... and his legion. Okay. Um, in what's going on post Isfan Five, um, so beyond that, I'm not going to say anything. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of this thing, that, I mean, I, as far as I could see, reading that book the first time around as well, I can't see a logical kind of. That's the the most logical thing to me is you're led to believe, rightly or wrongly, that um, <laughs> me trying trying not to give you anything. Um, uh, that Fulgrim is in the painting and yeah. this demon is walking around in his body and there's the anguish of Fulgrim knowing that as well. And just not only that, but it's like he sticks him in the painting. And if it, this is how I'm picturing it in my head. He sticks him in there, leaves him at the spot where he unleashed all of this, you know, at this concert uh, mm. um, amongst the blood and the wreckage and the destruction, and just leaves him there, like just to, uh, that's all he's going to see. That's all he's going to be a part of. It deep, deep inside his ship, at the at the point where 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 you know. And you can only assume that the the La Fenice is still going to be used as well. Yeah, you know there are more excesses to to, to discover, so he he'll probably have to look down upon it. Yeah, in his prison. Yeah, it's just oh. It was, I, I, it was, it was kind of a, it was, it was a great ending, sort of just to 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 put him up on the, you know, it's like it's like to close the book, put it up there, and shut the lights on it for you know for yeah. now was fantastic. So that's the book. Yes. Oh boy. You know, uh, like I've said with each of these, the second reading, I just get so much more out of it. You know, but of I course, think everyone has. But of course, when I'm sitting and reading them the first time, I'm not sitting and reading them the first time for, I guess, no, the literary component. Yeah. It's like I want, I want to get, I'm trying to get through these stories. <laughs> I, I, I do it with movies. People say, "Oh, didn't you see that coming?" I'm like, "No, I just wanted the story to unfurl as the story unfurled." I'm into this film. Exactly. I, I do it with books as well, and they're like, "Didn't you see that coming?" Every now and then, I do, but I'm like, I don't. Sometimes I don't want to. I miss it a bunch. Uh, I, I kind of get wrapped up too, and I just don't. I'm, I'm not looking but, for the answer. But in a way, it's it for me. Sometimes you want it, and sometimes you just want actually that that twist to come in and really. Because if you're always finding those twists, you never get to experience the twist. Oh, I know. So, so yeah. Sometimes when I get wrapped up in books, it's just like, oh yeah, brilliant. I mean, I knew, I knew about the demon. Full grim thing uh, on on his fan beforehand from from previous readings and stuff, but 
that there's enough in there to, yeah. to twist and turn. But I've got I've got a friend I got a friend who's like that. It's like every movie you show him. Oh, the usual suspects. He figured it out in ten minutes. <laughs> you know, go to see the Sixth Sense. He figured it out in like you know minutes. And it's like, how is this even fun for you? <laughs> <laughs> so, but there we go. That is that's Fulgrim, all wrapped up in a neat little bow for you guys. Oh, is there anything else we need to cover before we close this out and get to work on Descent of Angels? Um, just the uh, competition to win the Black Library Weekend bag and goodie bits. Oh, okay. Um, I did post a photo of it on the Facebook page. Great. Um, there is also the one thing that didn't get in the photo because it was in the bottom of the bag and I missed it was a, a, a die. You get a single die with... Um, it's got the Horace's eye on one side, and on the opposite side, it's got the uh, double-headed Aquila. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, so it's a nice little die as well. So um, we're going to be giving that away to a, a listener. Okay. Um, David and I had a chat, and we're going to randomly select someone who has posted on the Fulgrim thread, uh, either of the Fulgrim threads. Yeah, part one or part two. Absolutely. Um we would ask you, please, if you're going to enter the competition and want to post on the thread, try and um, do more than, hi, I'm just posting for the competition. Um, exactly. That might Be a part of the conversation. Yeah. You know, even if it's a little one sentence, something like that, it's all, it's all welcome. Yeah. We'd like an opinion, a comment, something. You know, it, you don't have to write a thesis to, to qualify, no. but do more than saying, hey, here for the contest. Exactly. So uh, go ahead and do that, and um, we will announce the winner when we do Descent of Angels. That'll give yes. people plenty of time. Yep. So you've got a few weeks when you know there's not a definite time, but there's a, a few weeks for you guys. Yeah. So that'll yeah. work. Okay, and that, dude, that bag is awesome. So it, yeah, it's, it's really good. I must admit, I, it's my geek bag at the moment, um, <laughs> and, I, and I'm actually using the bookmark as well. And they normally nice. use bookmarks. So yeah, and I've um, we uh, the winner of the um, Imperial Truth contacted us, so I'm be sending that out just after Christmas. Yeah, he only lives like an hour um, from my house. Does he? Yeah, <laughs> Oak Brook. It's it? Chicago land area. It's Oak Brook. Yeah. All right, excellent. So yeah, that will be uh, fly- winging its way out after Christmas as well. Um, <laughs> and I have to try and try and get some more for you guys. Yep. Cool. But until then. Folks, we're going to wrap it up. Um, feel free to, like I said, join the forums, garagehammer.net slash forum. Uh, remember, you have. To, I've had, gotten some emails from people who said they can't post because once you sign up, you have to post in the introduction page first before you can post anywhere else. That's how we keep out 99% of the spammers. Uh, also, iTunes reviews are lovely. I read them all or all that I can. Hey, if you leave us an iTunes review from some country that's like, if you're on the iTunes feed, that's not the United States or the UK feed or where, where like the, you know, like the bulk of our listeners from, hey, drop us an email or mention it on the forums. Hey, I dropped a, a review in the, uh, you know, iTunes China. You know, yeah. Cause do. I'd love to go read it, but there's like, I counted them. There's 120 some odd different countries that you can go to for iTunes. I searched through a few the other day that were all English-speaking countries because I wasn't too sure. <laughs> well, then that's the like, thing. It, I don't, takes, it takes a while to go through them. So. I mean, even even if I just look for one, if, even if it takes me a minute, just one minute to switch over to there, go to After Eleanor, see if there's a review, 
that's two hours minimum. If I find, yeah. if I find no reviews, if I find <laughs> reviews and stop to read them, I mean that's a long time. So if you drop us a review, let us know. We, I mean, because we do appreciate it. We read them all. Absolutely. And if um, I, <laughs> I'm not too sure if I told you this, David. Um, we were, I was at a tournament at the weekend. Yeah. And I was talking about where I lived and driving up to this tournament, and a guy said, "Are you Greg Dan?" And I was like. Yeah, how do you know that from where I live? And he said, "Oh, I recognise your voice from After Illinois. That was that was awesome. <laughs> that was that was like whoa. That was weird. Um, I can't remember the guy's name now off the top of my head. Nightmare. I'm ever so sorry, but um, really nice guy to chat to. So yeah, if you ever you know if you're ever out of a tournament or something like that, you see one of us, uh, say hi. Oh, it's, please um, do. Well, we'll both be listen. at Adepticon in April. Yeah. So. So, and I'm um, definitely be walking around the 40k bit and the, the Horus Heresy bit for a while as well. So yeah, on Friday I'll definitely be wandering around because I don't, uh, after the team tournament because I got nothing else planned. Definitely on Saturday too. So, all right, fantastic. So, folks, we'll see you in a little bit with the feedback episode. And remember, the feedback episode is only as good as the feedback. So let us know what you thought of these last two episodes, uh, so that we can get get cracking. And uh, we promise to bring you as much as we can about Descent of Angels. All right, Greg, good yeah. show, if I yeah, say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see once you've edited it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, until we see you again, the Emperor protects. Death of the Force Emperor. Congratulations on completing another episode of After Illinois. David and Greg would love you to come and chat some more about the Horus Heresy in the forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or on the Facebook page. Just search for After Illinois. You can email us if you wish at greg at garagehammer.net or david at garagehammer.net. Finally, you can catch us on Twitter at After Illinois, at Child of Fang for Greg and at garagehammer for David. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit the support page on the main website at garagehammer.net and you can leave a positive review on iTunes. In addition, you can tell all your friends to come and join the community. Many thanks for listening, and until the next episode, may the Emperor protect.